Yeah, hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. <laughs> this is a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether, and it's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, that You always get me with the variations. Like, literally every time, I like genuinely laugh and think it's great. Over 200 different ways of saying hello. That's, that's what you come to this podcast for. <laughs> yes. That also is weirdly on brand with the game we're talking about, uh, yeah. which is, or games, rather, uh, in this episode, we're talking about Portal 1 and Portal 2. I'm very excited to cover these. Can so. I just say before we even get into it that uh, the the date is Friday, February 25th, 2022, that yeah. we've decided to record a podcast episode about Portal and Portal 2, which when we planned it seemed like complete nonsense uh, and now is weirdly prescient. And maybe even too early. <laughs> so what a what a strange whiplash we've had. Um, yeah. they, they have since announced that Portal 1 and 2 are coming to the Nintendo Switch soon. Uh, they're doing like a bundle of the two of them. Uh, so it's possible that you're listening to this after that has come out. And also today, the day of recording, Valve has announced a spinoff to Portal uh, that I think is called like like desk job, like aperture desk job or something in which you do kind of what it says on the tin you work a desk job at aperture science where you uh mess around with some i think bad science equipment but like what a bizarre turn of events because i i think you and i we did the the chrono trigger bonus last month and we were yeah. like this is a cool big way to start the year for us just feel like very strongly about this idea of visiting a classic seeing how it holds up seeing how it's inspired other stuff for me, it was a big moment of discovery in terms of like, what do I like about this genre, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. after doing that, it was like, what do we do next? And you and I have been talking about doing a bonus about Portal 1 and 2 for a long time because it's in this pantheon, I think, of games that's like just like so well regarded. And I and I don't frequently see, I would say, like retrospective looks at them and I kind of wanted to revisit Portal 1 and 2 because I haven't played them in like, I don't know. I like I like I mentioned on an earlier episode, I haven't played Portal 2 since it came out. But it is a game that you frequently see talked about as one of the best games of all time. And I was like, yeah. is that still true in, in 2022? Like, if you go back and play that, does that hit as hard uh, as it used to? Um, which we'll get to. But that <gasps> was kind of the impetus for doing this episode. Um, and I think what's kind of funny about it in that way is like, yes, it's frequently talked about in that in that kind of conversation, like best of kind of pantheon shit. But I would say, unlike Chrono Trigger, I don't think it was like 100% chance that you and I were going to play these games and be like, yes, this is the thing that we should do the bonus on. Yeah. For me, there was always a little bit of like a the ice could crack beneath our feet and we could be like, oh, shit, we play both these games and they're not good and we're not going to do this bonus. Not bad. You know what I mean? I know you mean. I mean, I think like I was prepared for this bonus to be more critical potentially like yeah. you know with Chrono Trigger it was sort of like you having this moment of discovery and me having this like reaffirmation of a of a old love I also think it's interesting to talk about Portal and Portal 1 and their status as like you know these all-time great games because they also came out at a time where like the argument of like our games are was like very much like in the zeitgeist kind of yeah. thing. Like I remember in I think in around 2010, the Smithsonian had a games or art exhibit. Oblivion was part of it, just saying. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of silly to ask that now, 
even though I do think there's still certain like preconceived notions about games and there are still large groups of people that I think maybe see them as like less than other forms of art, Mm -hmm. but that's just because they're new. I think that like the same thing happened with film. Like it's a very like common pattern in history when there's someone didn't like books once. (laughs) (laughs) Books are the poor man's. uh, What was before books? We're really going back. <laughs> I don't know. I I was hoping your uh, sick improv skills were going to fill in that blank. And I was so stoked. <laughs> well, to once find we out. go pre books, I've got nothing. <laughs> but I mean, you're right. I think honestly, like at a certain time, like Victorian prose, like stories were essentially like fables and sort of like tied to religion. Yeah. Like Pilgrim's Progress and stuff. The idea of having like a protagonist, like just a person like in mm-hmm. Jane Austen stuff was like very groundbreaking at that time. And I'm sure there were a lot of people like preposterous your character isn't named ignorance like, <laughs> so it's just like video games but anyway uh portal i feel like was one of the first big games to come out that kind of like every now and then there's like a near universal positive reaction like mm-hmm. i feel like almost everyone that played portal regardless of their experience with games was like oh i kind of get it now like i yeah. feel like it's sort of a microcosm of like here's what games can do unique to themselves like this is both almost like a minimalist puzzle game with like just a splash of like narrative intrigue and it kind of the alchemy yes. of that is it's very intriguing, which yeah. we'll talk more about. It's a game that I have handed to many people who tell me that they are maybe comfortable with games or maybe uncomfortable with games, but specifically are uncomfortable with the idea of using two analog sticks at the same time in games. Like yeah. getting used to a controller like that is not very easy for people who don't play games all the time. And Portal is a great, great game for learning that because not only are you learning how to utilize the two analog sticks, but you're also learning how like a virtual person exists in a virtual space and how to navigate that in ways that start off very simple and seem like, you know, pretty intuitive and then actually ask you to think outside the box and solve puzzles in ways that will probably help you in every video game you will ever play after that. Yeah. Um, If you can beat Portal, you can play almost every video game, I feel. Totally. And it's really interesting to hear the developer commentary in both games, but in one especially. Mm. And like the way the developers talk about like introducing this kind of high concept, like the idea, like for those who aren't familiar, Portal is all about making portals with this gun that can shoot like a blue oval and an orange oval. So like there are certain surfaces that you can shoot portals into and one will lead into the other. Right. If you walk into a blue portal, you come out of an orange portal and vice versa. Exactly. So the developers were like, this was kind of a hard concept to teach right away. So they purposely made it that in the very first level, you see yourself, like you see the character Mm -hmm. going into the portal. So you have a frame of reference because the whole game is in first person. So they found like if they didn't do that right away, it was still hard for players to like grasp the basic concept. And then when they had to like solve puzzles with it it was nigh impossible yeah it's on the level of the goomba in one one you know in terms of just like intuitive ways of teaching players how the game works right like you go play super mario brothers and that first goomba means that you press any button you possibly can to try and jump over it or on it kind of a similar situation here being able to see yourself go into and out of a portal teaches you everything you need to know without saying a word and it's fucking great absolutely and it definitely trains you for any kind of first person game like even though it's a mm-hmm. puzzle game, it weirdly has shooting mechanics and like, yes, there's a lot of like general DNA in it. So with all that being said about like what the game is, I'd love to revisit like our history with both one and two and sort of like the time they came out and how they came out, which I think is also interesting. 
So Portal 1 was released in, I think, 2007. 2007. 2007. A big year for games. A huge year for video games, yes. Our games aren't. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Portal was released in the Orange Box, which was a simultaneous release of Half-Life 2 Episode 1, Half-Life 2 Episode 2, Team Fortress 2, and Portal. Yeah. Half-Life 2, like the main game, is also included in that. Yes, exactly. So this is sort of Valve's like new business strategy of like changing up how they would release games. It didn't seem to click, but it was a really cool moment in time. Yeah. Where, like, <laughs> they were just like, here's basically like a decade worth of games for you. Like because yes. Half-Life 2, I actually don't have a lot of experience with, and I feel like this episode is like my portal into uh, <laughs> potentially getting into Half-Life 2 one day. That's like my that's like my Chrono Trigger, where it's like this game that is so universally beloved and so influential that like I've started a couple times, but never really like got into, even though mm. I enjoyed what I play. Like I really, really want to play Half-Life 2. And I think that would be a fun bonus one day if we ever yeah. get to it. Yeah, we, we've talked about potentially doing that as a bonus. If you want yeah. that, smash that like button, comment and subscribe. <laughs> Hopefully with the Steam Deck coming out, that might be the perfect way to, to go through them. Potentially. Oh, shit, Steven. Because I have them all on Steam, but I can't play them because I have an Apple Mac. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention um, that we both ordered the Steam Deck today as well. Uh, yes. Reviews dropped and we both ordered them. So uh, hopefully yeah. at some point this year, we'll get them in and maybe maybe the first thing we play. That'd be so good. To have the first thing we play on the Steam Deck be Half-Life 2. That'd be so tight. It's a little bit like your dad being like, I played this game called Zelda the other day. It's like everyone's like, we get, we know. Why did you do this? <laughs> but that would be so fun. I think that'd be a really cool way to experience them. Because I, I have like all of them. I have like the weird spinoffs like starring Barney. Like I've got all of them. <laughs> so anyway, um, this collection was was largely, I think, centered around. I think at the time, Episode 2 was like the new one. Yeah. And Team Fortress 2 was... Team Fortress 2 was like also kind of a new thing. I mean, there was technically, as the name would imply, there was Team Fortress Classic, but Team Fortress 2 was like an entirely new vibe. It really changed like the energy and the design. It became much more cartoony and fun. I loved Team Fortress 2. Yeah, you were a big Team Fortress 2 person. That was like my go-to game for between like 2012 and 2016. Yeah. And then Overwatch came out. <laughs> I was like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> but until Overwatch, Team Fortress 2 was like really the only game that I knew of like that. Because I've never really gotten into first person shooters, especially competitive ones. But mm -hmm. Team Fortress 2 had a really infectious vibe. Like I loved the the comedy of it and the characters and the team aspect and like how differently everyone played. And like I think the reason I liked it too is like not every class even was like a shooter. Like if you were an engineer, you just built turrets and hung out. You know? <laughs> or like the scat was like almost more of like a first person platformer. Um yeah. so anyway, that game was incredible and that was really like a huge game for them for a very long time. And Portal before the Orange Box was released I think Valve thought of Portal as like, this is the kind of experiment that we're like yeah. thrown in for fun, like uh, amongst all these kind of shore hits. It's really funny on the actual box of the orange box. It says like yeah. Half-Life, Half-Life Episode 1, Half-Life Episode 2, Team Fortress 2. And then on the bottom, it says, and introducing Portal as if it's like a guest star on a sitcom on ABC in the 90s. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's featuring Portal in yeah. the SNL cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would say pretty immediately Portal, like even though all those games were were well received and again TF2 became like one of the biggest games for a very long time. Yeah. Portal was the hit. Like out of nowhere. It was this almost tech demo made by eight people that just like kind of sparked everyone's imagination and curiosity. And it was like, oh, this is really, really cool. And I wish so strongly, especially replaying it, like I wish I could have that experience of like going in completely blind. Because mm. I feel like that is the best. Like it's impossible to do now. But to go into Portal with like, what is this featuring Portal? Like what is this game amongst yeah. giants? And then have that experience. That is largely a testament to, I think, why it became so popular immediately because it was so out of nowhere yeah uh so wait was that your experience no i that was the experience i wish i had my experience was not having a 360 or a computer that could play it when it came out (laughs) okay and then i i bought a 360 when i was like 18 right out of high school Mm. and uh immediately bought oblivion and the orange box those were my first two purchases and and you never bought another video game again That was it. Honestly, yes. Until like maybe (laughs) Skyrim. Uh, I was like pretty set on that. Yeah. It was kind of depressing though because TF2 on the 360, like they didn't update it. So Mm -hmm. like while it had this thriving community on PC, like it was like me and five people who like left their Xbox on in 2007. (laughs) But Portal was fantastic. And even kind of knowing like the hype and the quotes and everything it was still really cool to play so that was my experience playing portal one was like a year removed from the initial launch Mm -hmm. on xbox and then i got portal 2 right when it came out and i played the first like few hours then for some reason didn't continue so this this for this episode this is my first time playing through all of portal 2 which we'll talk about later oh i'm so excited overall that's my experience i've i've been a big fan of these two games but like i felt kind of disconnected and until doing this episode yeah Um, wow okay yeah on my end i had a 360 my very short uh lineage of consoles growing up was my sega genesis which was my dad's technically he got it when i was a kid and then the ps2 which i got as a gift for my parents and then the first console i ever bought for myself was a 360 um nice I, i loved it so much i mean just being able to like throughout the summers play games with my friends online yeah uh, just until uh, well just not sleeping and playing you know like call of duty 4 in 2007 also just a beautiful moment in time but i remember in 2007 the orange box coming out and picking it up specifically because i really wanted to play half-life 2 i had always wanted to play it um i i saw snippets of it at a friend's house who had a computer that was like powerful enough to run half-life 2 like in that time he had what i would consider to be a gaming pc which was shocking to me oh yeah Uh, so i got to see like the opening 30 to 45 minutes of half-life 2 and i've been like completely just like enveloped in wanting to play it ever since so when the orange box was announced i was like i'm absolutely getting this no question in my mind and that was the first thing i did when i got the orange box was i just played half-life 2 episode 1 episode 2 because i was like i just need to know i just need to know what these are all about and loved it and like completely ignored the team fortress 2 and portal side of this thing until there was a video show that i used to watch uh it was a weekly video show that was on revision 3 which is a website that no longer exists, but it was called The Totally Rad Show. And it was hosted by these three guys, Alex Albrecht, Jeff Kanata, who now does DLC, 
which is a great podcast if you haven't listened to it. Uh, and Dan Trachtenberg, who is now like a major Hollywood motion picture director. Um, but the three of them were just like reviewing video games and movies and comic books and TV and stuff like that. And they did a whole episode that was just about how good Portal was. They were like, yes, yes, yes. The orange box is amazing, but you have to play Portal. Like Portal yeah. is the thing. And I was like, oh, I already have this thing. I should probably check this out and sat down and played Portal in one sitting. I like I couldn't put it down until it was done. I was absolutely obsessed with it. As soon as I was done, I made my dad play it uh, for the exact reason that I had described before, because he had never played a game with two analog sticks before. I was like, you got to get used to this. And this is the game to do it. He played the whole thing and just like an amazing experience playing it and then watching my dad play it and just being like, no, 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 that's not how you do that. It was like really fun. Um, you know, the the two like hit watching him bash his head against the wall and me being like, ah, 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 what if you tried this? You know, because I had just done it like two days beforehand yeah you became glados to your father basically. absolutely so i i had like a really strong affinity for portal just because of that experience was like you know yeah. i i had the thing it was this like extra thing that i i didn't even think to check out until the totally rad show had mentioned it it should be mentioned dan trachtenberg then went on to uh make a short film based on portal which I think is like the reason he like broke into Hollywood in the first place was because of how mm. successful that short film was. Uh, it's really cool if you haven't checked it out. So that was my history with Portal. I just like I loved it a lot and I have gone back and played it a couple times here and there. I remember when I first got a gaming PC, that was the first game I played when I when I got it because I was like, wow, I can actually play this on a computer now. That'd be really cool. So, yeah, I I love it. I've always loved it. Uh, and I'm I'm very interested in how you feel about revisiting it, because uh, I kind of knew that I was going to have a good time going into it. But I'm curious how long it's been for you since you played it and what you thought about it this time. So it's been probably at least 10 years since I played the first one. Yeah, I don't think wow. I've played it since I I, I might have like replayed it in college, but it's been a while. Yeah. Portal 2. It's absolutely been 10 or 11 years. I, mm -hmm. I played it when it came out, and that was in 2011, I think. Yeah. I might have stopped because of my switch to Mac. That might have been it, because I had it on Steam. Mm. Yeah. But I could have gotten it for a number of platforms. And uh, it's worth noting, I, I got these both for the Series S, but they're now, like we said earlier, they're on Switch. They're available pretty much everywhere, it seems. Well, they, they will be on Switch at some point this year. At uh, some point this year. Okay. Yeah. But you can get them on Xbox and PC. Uh, I don't know if they're on Sony or not. I think I think Portal 2 might be. I think you might. Actually, I want to look this up. Portal 2 is available on the PS3 and Portal is also available on the PS3, but not on the 4 or 5. Interesting. Wow. OK. It's It's been a very long time since I played them. And I think like like you said earlier, we were both kind of trepidatious of going back because like. While there's very few negative things to say about Portal, at least on launch, the the over quoting of it and the sort of like fandom side of it, like I think kind of warped it a little bit. And like, yeah. you know, it was like, how well is this like sort of like Newgrounds era humor going to hold up, you know? Right. So like and I have to say Portal 1 especially is, I think, a masterpiece still. I think there's yeah. like almost nothing to critique about it. Not that like you are a masterpiece by definition of like not having things to critique. Everything has things to be critical of. But in terms of like what the experience is and how fun it is to play, how simple it is and the pacing of it is masterful. The initial opening scene with kind of being in clear captivity. Mm hmm. 
and and this feeling of unease that kind of goes away once you start playing yeah. and then slowly builds up through the whole game. That to me, like I think this could have easily been like just a series of puzzles to show off a cool game mechanic. And that's like kind of what it was. But the team wanted there to be some type of narrative through the whole experience. Right. And that that is really the like secret ingredient of this. Like GLaDOS and their weird like HAL 9000 meets Tom and Jerry relationship with the protagonists <laughs> is like so fun and still very funny because I think the reason the humor in Portal 1 still works very well to me is that it's very if you were to just look at the game it looks like a horror game like the environment and even the even the like cake is a lie stuff like all of that is kind of horrific when you just see it yeah what makes it funny is the tension and is GLaDOS's delivery and the fact that like she's your only companion really in this, mm-hmm. I won't say too much because we're not going to get into spoilers. I imagine this is kind of common knowledge, but I, I, for the sake of not having spoilers, I won't say anything. But like that, that is still so fun to experience, even if you know what's going to happen. Those beats are so fun to relive. Yeah. And like, you know, the, the game itself is like still very, like I, I remembered some of the puzzles, but it's still really fun to pull them off. And like, I think in Portal 1, everything is very clearly taught. And the more advanced stuff later, it might take you a while to figure out what you're supposed to do. But when you do, it feels very victorious and very personally earned and not like, oh, how could I have seen that? Which right. Portal 2, I also really loved. And I think it's it's a really tall order to be a sequel to Portal Portal 1 because I think like Portal 1 is this like very like tightly designed like two hour three hour gem of a game Mm -hmm. like to to do more of that is like how do you follow it up what I love about Portal 2 is it feels like an encore you know it feels like the fans being like wait another song another like quite literally it could have so easily just been more test chambers yes and I think that it's a very worthy sequel I I think I I prefer Portal 1 by a little bit the humor in Portal 2 I think is actually the thing that is a little bit more hit or miss because yeah I totally agree the humor in 1 is very much because of the situation and it's a nervous laughter mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it doesn't really get like laugh out loud funny silly until maybe like the very end portal 2 is trying a little too hard from go i think and like while there are a lot of genuinely big laughs in it and they're real like the highs of it are fantastic and on par with the first one it's trying to fully deliver what was a very subtle element of the first game yeah so i and i also think in terms of the game it introduces a lot of really 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 cool mechanics like the the bridge of light and all the different like slimes that like make you bounce or speed you up like all the new elements of a portal game are really really well done but i found that the level design was like just a hair like and again this is like comparing to perfection i found that a lot of the levels i had way more of the like oh it was something like really high up all right like i i didn't yeah. feel i felt more confused and lost but Overall, it was an incredible game. And if, if you like the first one, Portal 2 is absolutely worth your time. They complement each other well. They're both yeah. worth playing. It is it is really interesting, I think, to, to to consider the fact that Portal 2 is the one that people lift up as like, oh, this is one of the best games of all time. Because like Portal 1 is right there, man. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's no contest, to be honest. You got yeah. almost all the way to saying Portal is one of the greatest games of all time, but you threw a 2 in there. <laughs> 
Uh, look, Portal 2 is really good. Don't get it's me wrong. It's a fantastic game. I mean, yeah. like, on its own merit, it's still an incredible game. Yeah, I, I just want to mention, I played through both of them, and they're both, uh, those playthroughs are available on YouTube, uh, on yeah. our YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash into the cast, if you want to go check that out. Um, you can just, like, see the joy that I have playing through Portal 2, because there's some stuff that still to this day is, like, shocking about that game. There's still oh, yeah. some stuff that hits in a way, or, like, some visual iconography that happens in that game that is, like, unmatched still somehow. Um, there, there are moments, I don't want to say too much, but there, there are moments that are, like, full-on huge set pieces that feel like they're ripped out of, like, a Call of Duty or, like, a Battlefield or something. Yes. And in the context of, like, a game where you're shooting portals and this like silly little science facility is wild to have moments that are like that big and that jaw dropping that feel like you're watching like a whole Michael Bay set piece happen in front of your <laughs> eyes and you are part of it and you need to escape it with your feet uh, is really cool that kind of stuff like is still shocking the fact that that ran on the xbox 360 and the ps3 is wild because even now if you were to put some sequences that i'm alluding to in a video game i would be surprised yeah i i I forgot it was 360 because i I was playing on the series s and like it has to log you into like a weird virtual xbox live account and it's getting spruced up by being run on the series s but like i would have otherwise guessed it was like a ps4 game at least yeah uh it so like Portal 2 is really, really spectacular, but I, th- I think you're right on focusing on Portal 1 a little bit uh, before we even get into because like 2 has this like really heavy focus on narrative and is like trying to tell like a legitimate story and also give you more test chambers and things of that nature. But Portal 1 really is just like, hey, guess what? Here is the best meal you will ever have in your life. Uh, and Portal 2 is a little bit like, well, we're going to give you like kind of a like an amuse-bouche and then we're going to give you an, an appetizer and then we're going to give you an entree and then we're going to give you this. And like at a certain point, you're actually just like, oh, get me to the end, though. Like, I just want the dessert. You know what I mean? Yeah. Portal Portal 1 is just like this perfect little encapsulation of an idea. It's worth mentioning that the original game that this was based off of or the team that made it, uh, it was called Narbacular Drop. And it essentially was like the portal mechanic, but in a game that looks a lot like uh, like a quake or like an early doom. And I think specifically the reasoning behind that was like making a game that has like pretty uh i don't want to say subpar but like old school graphics allows you to do a lot more with the physics engine in there so like i I imagine making the portal mechanic work in a kind of like scaled down visually game was probably very easy but anyway gabe newell who is the founder of valve saw narbacular drop uh shown off at some kind of event i think it was like a bunch of college kids that made it uh and was like i want that i want all of you to come work at valve you need to turn this into a a bigger thing yeah it's absolutely amazing i mean how often has that happened i think like very infrequently it's like that and maybe the firewatch team yeah like campo santo and then i mean they went on to make half-life alex so like you know good shit anyway this team comes in and they just essentially if you if you play through the game with the developer commentary on which i highly recommend doing if you haven't uh it's it's very cool they just like explain essentially how they're able to communicate such basic ideas in a really streamlined way we already talked about this opening where you show up as shell and you're in this like little container that has a radio that's playing music it's like na 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 you know it's like yeah fun like elevator music and then they show you in that moment here's a portal here's another portal you can see yourself walking through the portal moments like that are just like absolutely brilliant there are other moments that they allude to even just talking about the difference between a button on the ground that a box has to go on or a button that a person can press with their finger have to look completely different 
those little things, those those little tiny changes, those little design elements that they were able to like, I, I want to use this word as heavy handed as it sounds, but like obsess over. You can only obsess over things that minutely with such a small team when the idea is such a small scope, like the scope of portal is really tiny. What they really wanted to do was explore this portal mechanic in as many interesting facets as possible. And they they fucking nailed it. I mean, the the ramp up of introducing new mechanics the idea of like box goes on button i can go on button oh i can press button and then i can go on button oh i have a thing that shoots a portal oh now i have a thing that shoots two portals oh now there's like a there's like a a ball of electricity that i have to get into a plug like as they start to roll these things out they're doled out in this way that you and i talk about all the time in this kind of like super mario version of level design where like everything just kind of builds on itself and just builds and builds and builds and as you were alluding to before it crescendos with this finale that is like combining every idea that you have built up over time but does it in a in a way that is focused on a narrative that comes out of absolutely nowhere and that's brilliant man i mean like to take this to take this game that is ostensibly just like puzzles like it's literally just like flipping through a book of like sudoku puzzles and then like once you get through the beginner and intermediate ones like suddenly it's a choose your own adventure in a way <laughs> like that's yeah. that's the kind of turn that this game takes at a certain point and you kind of know it's coming because it's a video game but you're also like well if this was just test chambers i'd feel good about it it's brilliant and it's so it's so short like i I have played through this three times in preparation for this episode and the first time took me two hours the second time took me an hour and a half and the third time took me like an hour and 15 minutes it is so short and it is so impactful and i i just i just wish there were more games like this by valve specifically and i'll get into the valve of it all later but i just want more games like this from valve i totally agree i i think also the the sort of slow crescendo of it uh both mechanically and narratively i love that they don't give you the portal gun right away like that could have been frustrating like to not have the full scope of power from go but it makes it so that when you do get the portal gun and when you eventually get the ability to shoot both blue and orange portals you know all the rules yeah like it really is so like the developer commentary really shows like how masterful the teaching process was and the psychology of both the game design and also the narrative design and like what's so insidious about both games is that like i want to make glados proud like even though i know she doesn't <laughs> give a shit about me yeah like i want to like because you know it's it's a very like i don't use the word elementary in terms of like debasing it but it's a very like okay button goes here this goes there it's like a very simple elegant design mm -hmm. so i think like we're kind of put in this mindset where we where we want someone to go like good job you know this is one of those games kind of like eco or like chrono trigger where it's like we're not the arbiters of like what deserves critical acclaim in any way, shape or form. But in my personal experience with it, again, even like, you know, decades removed from the hype and from my own hype for it. It's really, really refreshing to like revisit a game that had that moment in the spotlight and be like, yeah, that was totally deserved. Yeah. You know, and like yeah. that this is something very special that that we need to see more of uh, because it's just so it's so masterful. Yeah, it's worth mentioning just the way Valve is structured as a company. So Valve, uh, just to fill in some blanks, uh, I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know this already, but I, I'm going to go over this anyway. Valve also makes Steam. 
which is a marketplace for buying games on PC. Uh, that's where Valve makes most of their money, as I think most people know. Uh, initially, Steam was essentially created as a way to just like sell Valve games, right? It was like a way for Valve to sell their own stuff because they had the Half-Life games. They had Team Fortress. They were messing around with like microtransactions before literally anybody else with Team Fortress. Yeah, with the hats, yeah. With the hats, uh, you know, Portal, things like that. They were expanding their horizons and they needed to sell their own stuff. So it was essentially like a launcher for Valve games, but they said, let's also open it up and it'll be a store where anyone can sell games on PC. Very cool idea. Over time, it kind of became clear that the focus for Valve kind of became Steam and like the question mark became, okay, well... Is there going to be software still? Are they going to make a Half-Life Episode 3? Are they going to make a Half-Life 3? Is there going to be a Portal 3? Uh, you know, Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2, eventually, like, is there going to be a Left 4 Dead 3? Who knows? Like, where where is Valve in terms of making software at this point? And in interviews with the people who work at Valve and Gabe Newell himself, uh, there have been these conversations about, like, okay, so the way Valve is structured is kind of Gabe at the top, and then everyone else is under him. There's no, like, managerial structure. Everyone who works at Valve is just a person who works at Valve. What's cool and also maybe problematic is that they can all work on whatever they want at any given time. And what that means is that there are a lot of projects that are started and never finished because it's really exciting. I mean, everyone who's ever made anything creative knows this, but it's yes. really exciting to start a new creative project and it's really hard to finish it. So there's a lot of stuff that gets almost to the finish line and never makes it there. So I feel like the solve for that, which is like weird to say, is just stuff like Portal. Like, I, I think the fact that the biggest game or like the game that we've gotten from Valve over the past x years was half-life alex like not every game needs to be half-life alex you know half-life alex right. is a huge huge game it's a tentpole vr release it was showing off their vr their vr product and it and it's just this like impossibly detailed experience not every game needs to be on that level when things like portal are the thing like obviously half-life alex came out and was like great and well received and people really love it it's like unplayable because you have to buy all of this equipment to play it. So like yeah. most people can't get it, but I just feel like games like portal are the ones that like steal the spotlight every once in a while. And like, how yes. cool would it be to just kind of be working on small one to two hour experiments that blow up like this, like just throw more stuff at the wall and see what sticks. The length of portal was the thing that really stuck with me after finishing it, especially playing portal two, which I think is still like really well paced but does overstay its welcome a little bit at times. It does. It's kind of ironic because it's like a 10 hour game ish, yeah. but it feels longer. Right. And not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. In the grand scheme of video games, it is not that long. Yes, exactly right. It's the same length as the Forgotten City, our game of the year from last year. Yes. And Forgotten City felt faster. Yes. Uh, I'll say that. Um, yeah, but I Portal 2, I, I think, again, is fantastic, but it, it, I think it suffers from a lot of like issues that sequels tend to fall into where I think that they're sort of like a lot of ideas and a lot of like kind of giving the people what they want in a way that feels forced, you know? So mm. like once we get to it in spoilers, I have a lot of positives to say, but I think, you know, playing them back to back, it's, it's actually pretty jarring because I think like with portal one, you have this like huge surprise and then four years of like people quoting it and like, uh -huh, yeah. you know, and then, and extended media and, you know, things like that. And then portal two comes out and like kind of has to amp it up a bit. Like I, I do think, 
while it does fall into a lot of sequel issues, I do think it's about as good of a sequel as we could have gotten. Like, I think that like yeah. to make a sequel to Portal conceptually, that was the way to do it for the most part. Um, I, yeah, I think that I agree. It's, it's different enough and it's interested in different things that like I could understand if someone was like, what are you talking about? I like Portal 2 way more because there's more there. There's more to chew on. Yeah. But I think that there's something about the design by subtraction of Portal 1 that I really love. Yeah. And I think I think this is also just like what I want to see in general is like not every game has to be the biggest, grandest thing. Like if you have a cool idea, focus the game around it and it's probably going to take off. But it's also hard to recapture the sort of like lightning in a bottle moment of Portal 1. Totally. You know, having that like portal on the box and it like, you know, being like it's as if like the PlayStation demo disc in the magazine was suddenly like the best game ever made. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? But yeah, uh, that's that's how I feel about them the irony of this whole bit of course is that like literally again today they announced a spinoff of portal that is like a yes. small free <laughs> game that you can download on your steam deck uh but anyway i i do think going into this experience i was expecting to come out the other end liking portal 2 more than portal 1 because that's how i've always felt throughout my life i guess uh and that's the thing that you constantly hear and I, i'm kind of surprised at myself uh i i would say to kind of double back on that and, and think that portal is, is the one again you have to say it over and over again like portal 2 still an incredible incredible game i do think there's one thing in particular that you can point to and and not to keep bringing up the developer commentary but it really highlights this one specific moment in the developer commentary of portal 1 they talk a lot about the design of the test chambers specifically and they talk about how much stuff they used to have in test chambers how they used to be a little bit busier they used to have like more equipment and desks and computers and stuff in there they were just like a little bit busier and what they realized as they watched people continue to play through was that like people got kind of caught up in the fact that like oh yeah the the phone on this desk is a physics object and they thought that maybe the phone might be involved in how you're supposed to solve this test chamber etc etc people were just getting like kind of uh just kind of sidetracked by what they thought to be just like set dressing because they thought that it would be very obvious how the mechanics are supposed to work and over time as they continued to redesign the test chambers over and over again they landed on this like apple store before apple stores were a thing kind of like (laughs) white walls vibe that's very minimal and very clean and like super obvious i mean like the white wall that you can put a portal on the black wall that you can't put a portal on a very disgustingly green liquid that will kill you if you touch it um (laughs) things like that i mean they're so obvious and you get into portal 2 and like all of that minimalism goes out the window. Yeah. And I th- I think on one hand, there's a, there's a part of me that's like, I get it, though. Like people are coming in, having experienced the first one for the most part. I imagine most people playing Portal 2 play Portal 1. They've experienced the first one. They know how it works. They know white wall means Portal goes here. So maybe you can take more liberties, add more stuff. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to say too much story wise, but like the place that you're in is a little bit like overgrown. It's got leaves. It's got trees. It's got grass. It's like kind of busted up. There's, you know, wires and shit and like pipes leaking water hanging from the ceiling, things like that. It's very busy. And even as a person who like has played like just played through Portal 1 literally the day before, I like I know how to play Portal. I have played through Portal 2 more than once in my life. I I would imagine I I probably played it once and then made my dad play it. So like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I still found myself questioning moments of like 
what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to do stuff? Because that that busyness just kind of gets in the way of things at times. Not so much in the test chambers, but in, in a kind of a later part that I want to talk about more in spoilers. Yeah. It feels like that mentality. I'm not I'm not saying like adding grass and pipes and stuff to test chambers is the reason that the game is worse, but that mentality of we should take the grass and the pipes and the electricity out of the test chambers and just leave them like white walls. That line of thinking seems to have gotten a little bit off track in the second one. And that I think is the reason why it doesn't hold up as well as I was hoping it would. And we can get more into why in spoilers, but if I if I really had to like nail down the thinking there, I think that's kind of it. There's some more stuff, but for the most part, that's it uh, is like Portal one is streamlined and it's streamlined in such a way where you can tell that they were very, very, very intentional about literally every choice they made. And Portal two seems to be like, okay, but more. But that more is actually the problem. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's I think busy is the key word there. And like it's maximalist in a way where like a lot of the stuff like for every eight ideas that don't land, there's like two ideas that are genius, you know, and that's like kind of the jokes too. like there's a lot of like a lot of groans and then like two like belly laughs, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's it is a funny game, but it it really like is aware of the spotlight and is like tap dancing and and not like, you know, uh, it's it's a little bit uh, transparent, I guess. Mm hmm. I think we're veering into spoilers. So do you want to maybe take a break here? And then after the break, we'll get into full spoiler conversation about Portal 1 and 2 and then do questions. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Uh, Just to wrap this segment up, if you haven't played Portal and Portal 2, do it. They're yeah, they're really good. They're incredible games. Highly recommend. Not a hot take. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We're in spoiler section. Uh, so just a heads up, if you have not played Portal and Portal 2, we are going to talk about the Both story. Yeah, the story. There, there, yes. there is a story in Portal and Portal 2 and we will be discussing it. We will also be talking about test chambers, solutions to the test chambers, <laughs> character bios. One of spoilers was just us explaining the solution to every puzzle. Like <laughs> in room two, you're going to see a switch uh, a few steps ahead. So um, you can see in the distance there's a box, but you can't reach it unless you use the portal gun. So you want to use the portal gun to get to the box. And then um, before you jump, uh, you, can't, you can't jump from the ledge to the platform because these are going to the next Room three is a similar thing. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would not be fun to listen to. And it was almost not fun to even say. Um, <laughs> almost. Almost being the key word. So we kind of already sort of touched the plot of Portal 1, but basically in Portal 1, it is revealed that this... It's kind of obvious from the very beginning. Like, I think they do a good job. Like, So it doesn't feel out of nowhere the very first room is creepy. You are a prisoner and you're wearing an orange jumpsuit for prisoners. <laughs> you have these robotic things affixed to your legs uh, yeah. so you can jump from really high heights and survive. Things are not looking good for the main character named Shell. There's also a glass like the developer said that they added a lot of like kind of uh, foggy windowed like offices up high to give, give the feeling that you're being watched 
Mm. If you already didn't really gather that. So like starting it in this prison cell, essentially, with like very kind of corny corporate feel good music and the appearance of the character's wardrobe, it really sets up like, okay, I I didn't like sign up for a survey. This is (laughs) something's already a little off. But then the game begins and like GLaDOS, who is the AI who talks to you, she has a similar voice to I forgot the character's name, but the AI in System Shock. I feel like it's kind of an homage to them. They Mm. have like sort of a equally like their voice kind of goes in and out of octaves. Also very HAL 9000 like good morning, Dave. So GLaDOS kind of guides you through. She'll sort of say something in the beginning of a room and then is usually quiet until like usually when she starts talking again, you know, you've solved it, which actually is a really nice like audio cue. Right. I really love when games do that. I think Zelda is the pinnacle example of like the da na 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 or the, right, you know, whatever. Right. That's the treasure chest sound, but you know what I mean? So that is also kind of like, even though GLaDOS is the more kind of creative fun part of the game she also serves a very direct role you know i think the first time you kind of get a sense that something is a little off is when she's like this room is impossible we apologize in advance like Mm -hmm. you know you can't solve it we'll have a laugh about this later and then you solve it and she's like you overcame extreme pessimism congratulations (laughs) and like it's a funny moment but it's still believable that that was actually the experiment required you know like so i think that even though glados is like funny it's still operating in this mindset of like a very scary environment Mm-hmm. So I think that like it's not it's not a scary game, but like moments like that. And then eventually, like there are por- there are rooms where like there might be like a loose wall panel. And like if you're curious enough, you can portal into there and you see like scribbling on the wall. Like I think it's right after you get the companion cube. That's just a cube with a heart on it. And like there are like erotic drawings of the companion cube like on the wall is like, yeah. a calendar with like a buff companion cube. And like uh, so it's like, OK, there there have been other people who have gone through this and most have not gone through unscathed in some way yeah there is it's worth mentioning there is a whole comic that they released that is like a portal lore comic about the person who drew all that stuff that you find through that portal <laughs> one which is fun i think i think his name is like dave ratman or something which is fun but yeah that that stuff is really good i think i think that the very interesting balance of portal one is like if you're going in knowing absolutely nothing as you're making your way through it's like cool i'm just going like from puzzle to puzzle this is a fun thing and you're always on a knife's edge in a way of like are they actually going to commit to this kind of more nefarious thing that's going on or not yeah, right and, and when right. you come along if you ever if you find uh the, the couple instances in which you can peek behind panels and see the stuff that dave ratman has written on the walls um and stuff like that like it kind of tips you in the direction of like i think they're actually going to commit to it but like when and how because like this game seems to have very kind of by numbers structure in a way where like i just walk into a test chamber and then i solve it and then i move on to the next one like where where is the turn here you know and i think for players i imagine it's very difficult to miss those panels that are like peeking out where you can see the scribblings yeah. on the wall. Like I imagine they're designed in such a way where it'll be very easy for all players to find at least one of them throughout their play. 
I love that the actual turn there is sneaking behind one of those panels like that. Like that is that is really where it kind of works out for you because there is there's one that you can make your way into that is like a much larger room that you can't do anything with. But like it's just a really large space that you can kind of like wander around and see like, oh, does this door open? No, it doesn't. Okay, what happens if I throw myself off here? Oh, this is green death liquid. Okay, so I can't go this way. (laughs) I guess there's really nothing I can do here. Might as well turn back and keep doing the, the room. But now your brain is like maybe. Maybe someday I will find a like a, a, a secret room like this that's big enough that I can kind of make my way around. So when you're like shuttled at the end, if if you don't mind me talking about this part already. Oh, yeah. Like go for it. When you're shuttled at the end, you know, you make it through. There's 19 test chambers in Portal 1. When you make it through the 19 test chambers and, and it ends with GLaDOS being like, didn't we have fun? And you're essentially on this conveyor belt into a pit of just like fire. She's like, well, now it's time for you to die. Sorry, but also thank you for doing all the science for me. As you're shuttling your way there, it's like very obvious you can escape. It's like very odd, like in the distance, you can see places where you could be able to put portals. You can turn to your left and throw a portal on the wall to your left and you can escape. And as soon as you do that, GLaDOS is like, oh, you did it. It's It was another test the whole time yeah. where I pretended <laughs> I was going to kill you. Uh, but now we just need you to. What does she say? Uh, you have to lie down in, in the prone party position and put your portal gun on the ground. And uh, obviously you don't do that and you escape. But you've already been trained because of all the other experiences you've had to understand the idea of exploring a place that isn't a test chamber with the portal gun. And I think that's brilliant that like even even though literally you've just gone through 19 test chambers, they've managed to sneak in this like almost subconscious tutorialization of like this doesn't need to only be used in these white walled Apple stores. You can use these elsewhere. Uh, It's really cool. And it's so impressive how well it like that should be the part of the game that feels frustrating or like it throws you off. And it's so seamless. Like you're you're so good at the game at that point that like you're navigating this like industrial kind of almost Quake-esque environment, you know, where it looks like kind of like an old first person shooter. Yeah. And that that is I think that's the moment of the game where like it starts to like again crescendo into like why people love it so much obviously everything is is such a crucial part of it because it all builds up so organically but yeah that transition of like now that you've mastered this you can do it anywhere mm-hmm. is so well done yeah and even like even if you somehow do miss the the clues of like the the secret rooms like the fact that like in multiple tests like you could die is like enough of a turn where it's like okay glados is like just putting turrets here that have really like nice sounding voices and like make you feel bad whenever you topple them yeah they say i don't blame you it's like you're constantly being gaslit by like <laughs> like turrets that just want to shoot they don't have a thought they just want to shoot you yeah it's so uh Hello. funny and insidious how effective all that is you know i love those turrets so yeah. much i don't blame you like i always feel bad when they yeah. say that and I, I knock them over are you still there yeah (laughs) and also it sounds kind of like glados so it gives this impression that like everything here is part of her yeah like even these even these turrets that are just like in the way uh it's it's really well done and then so eventually after you go through like you know you get off the ramp into the fire and you're like kind of exploring the odd corners like outside of the main facility you reach glados's den and it's a boss fight and that that moment is like where it kind of goes full Looney Tunes, but in a way that really works. And this is also like where I think the game is is still like the funniest and the most tense. Because mm. basically GLaDOS, like you see her, she's sort of this really interesting design, this like kind of hanging 
sort of humanoid figure that has this like it's hard to put into words her design but she looks like a big almost like a big arm with like a face on it kind yeah, of thing yeah or like but there's like a vague semblance of a body it's more it's more pronounced in two where it feels like she's like this statue without arms almost so in this fight ner- uh, toxic gas gets unleashed and you have like five minutes to to defeat her and she shoots these rockets that you have to like use the portal gun to get the rocket to hit her instead, which is, is really fun and exciting. And then like a piece of her will drop off. So every time you hit her, it's a piece of her personality. It's so good. Like I, I like the first part is her, actually the first part is her morality. So like, Oh yeah. She's like, thank you. At the very beginning, she's like, Oh, I know what you destroyed. Like her voice gets creepier. Yeah. She's like, that's the thing that they put in me. So I wouldn't kill everyone. Yeah. And then the, the one that makes (laughs) me laugh is like, like the cake is a lie. I'm, I'm numb to at this point. I've heard that quoted so often. Yeah. It's whatever. But one part of her is just this like this guy nervously saying ingredients to a cake like three eggs, one yeah. bag of flour. It, it, <laughs> it's so it's funny. So funny. <laughs> that and the one that just like, it's like the growling yeah. and there's like this rabid red eye. It's so good. It's so tense. And it's like it's such a joy. Like The game, it's almost like the reward for playing it, like even though it's this like tense boss fight. It feels fun and exciting. And like you're finally getting a peek behind the curtain in a way that feels rewarding and not undoing the mystery. Yeah, I was doing a bunch of uh, as I usually do for these things, but I was doing a bunch of research just about like the making of this game, stuff that might not have been in the developer commentary. And I think they did mention in the developer commentary, but I saw some more in-depth conversation about it. The original end of this game was as you're making your way through the behind the scenes, there's this one room that you end up in. You jump down into this room and a bunch of doors open up and they're all filled with turrets. And there's like, I don't know, 15 to 20 turrets in this giant chamber all pointing at you at the same time. And you need to obviously use portals to sneak around and try and take them out one by one and then escape that room, um, which involves a bunch of flinging and stuff. It's really cool. It's a cool room. But that was the original end of the game. Like at a certain point, like that was how oh, wow. that was how it ended initially until they landed on this like big GLaDOS fight. And thank God they did that. I love that room. I think it's really cool. But like as a finale, I don't know how that would have worked. Um, this finale is perfect and kind of it's it's interesting to like it's interesting to think about that room as an ending in a way because it does utilize a lot of the things that you've learned, like how to be sneaky, how to like throw portals in in kind of like obtuse ways how to pick up and disable turrets uh you if you're i I would say resourceful enough you can also bring a box from a previous room into that room if you uh you know if you don't want to let it go like i didn't (laughs) you can bring it with you you could use the box to fling it all over the place and use that to take out turrets like there's a lot of like really cool stuff that you can do there but the actual glados end fight really does make use of like literally everything you've learned like there's a there's a lot of flinging that has to happen there's like button presses there's like placing portals in anticipation of needing to place other portals. There's just like a lot of uh, the, the the thing that they always um, they use, I think, is the marketing term for Portal 2, but I think applies really aptly to the first one is uh, now you're thinking with portals. And like that is <laughs> that is absolutely what is happening in the GLaDOS fight, because it's all just second nature at that point. By the time you yeah. make it into the GLaDOS room, like you're fucking set, man, you know exactly how to do it. And it's just joy, as you were saying, it, because it's all 
subconscious. Every action you have to take is just a thing that is obvious to you immediately. It's not really a puzzle solving situation at that point. It's like you just get to have fun. You just get this cathartic end uh, where you get to beat the bad guy. Yeah, I feel like good bosses are either like, okay, like now we're testing all the skills you've built up or like this is just like a cinematic explosion. Yeah. And this is both in like the best way. It's really it's it's the cherry on top for sure. Um, And like it ends with just you like getting out like it just like you see like the explosion of the facility and you're outside and then you get you get oh actually the cherry on top is the song which like that catches you out of nowhere because like this is gonna end with a musical number uh (laughs) it the end credits glados sings the song still alive which like has has been kind of played to death but it's honestly a great song i really yeah especially like in the context of like having finished the game because the game is other than glados it's so dry it's so like white and black and you know puzzle centric that like to end with a musical number is perfect (laughs) it's like the perfect compliment (laughs) to it and it's a it's a great and funny song the hype is real uh it's just the perfect game i love it yeah and you and you see the cake the cake that's right the cake is real and that that's how portal ends and it's it's good i mean it's it's really well done and and i love as we as we have mentioned a lot already on this episode but i really appreciate just this kind of like slow build of making your way through test chambers to a narrative payoff that you kind of didn't even realize was there in the first place like you didn't realize that there was weight being given to story and character but you get that you get that ending anyway and it totally pays off and totally works they they land every minute of it and that's why this game is such a good microcosm and such a great like first game for people to teach them like what makes games special i totally agree because of that you know it's like not only is it okay now you have the muscle memory of like a twin stick setup or like a wasd and mouse and keyboard but you also learn like how narrative could coexist with the with the mechanics and right. like how that's kind of the secret reason you're playing it. Like mm-hmm. if it just ended with like you did all the puzzles, like you probably would have been like, okay, that was fun, but it wouldn't stay with you. Yeah. In the way that Still Alive does, you know? Totally. GLaDOS knows you'll be thinking about her for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's very scary. Yeah. It's it's great. Also, I love that the the corny elevator music in the opening is still it's alive. Still alive. They yeah. do set it up. It's fantastic. Yeah. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done, and you make a neat gun for the people who are still alive. So yeah, that's that's Portal 1. I guess do you want to move on to Portal 2? Yeah. Yeah, so P- Portal 2 is interesting because it really it launches you uh immediately into story, right? Like I, I think they make yeah. it very clear like literally from go that story is going to be a more important aspect of this game, which like for better and for worse, I think in some cases. Yeah. And before I even get to why, I just want to make clear, like, I don't think the focus on story is the problem here. It's the unevenness. And and I'll get into that later. Yes. But 
the game opens with uh shell waking up in like a stasis room that looks like a like the shittiest motel room ever (laughs) and they're essentially just like testing cognitive function and just like making sure she's like still a person with a brain that works and it's like go look at this painting cool you've appreciated art great and you go back to sleep and then you wake up and it's like you have been asleep for nine 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 and you hear a knock at the door you open the door guess what it's Stephen Merchant just kidding it's Wheatley uh, played by (laughs) Stephen Merchant and Wheatley is uh, essentially one of the like personality cores that was on GLaDOS last time um, at at the end of Portal 1 um, who apparently has been like in charge of these stasis chambers has been monitoring them they've obviously gone to shit because GLaDOS is dead Um, and he's like hey this is all gonna bust up you need to go get a portal gun and get us out of here like you can save the two of us so that's kind of your focus in the beginning of the game it's just like go find a portal gun and make your way out and immediately i think just because of the focus on narrative like they're really just kind of showing that this game is going to be bigger and better in every way possible this is a sequel so you have this sequence where like wheatley is moving the motel room that you're in around the facility and it's like smashing into stuff and falling apart and it's this just like like truly massive like titanfall 2 level like environments kind of stuff yeah it was i I was thinking about titanfall 2 a lot while playing portal 2 which is kind of wild like maybe that maybe that's subconsciously the reason everybody liked titanfall 2 so much not that titanfall 2 (laughs) isn't great on its own merit i think it's a a great game we did a whole bonus about just that but yeah I, i i do think that it really evokes a lot of what worked so well in portal 2 here and you, you make your way around and eventually are like trying to find a portal gun and end up in like a lot of the same test chambers that you were in in Portal 1. Uh, some of them have been tweaked a little bit here and there. And it's it's definitely interesting playing Portal 1, especially when you play it three times in a row and then you move on to Portal 2 and you like know the first few test chambers so intuitively to see any changes at all. It's like you start questioning why those changes are being made. And it's interesting, like watching the developers revisit some early test chambers and realizing that there are actually better ways of teaching the player how to do it if it's their first time playing a portal game i would just like keep an eye out for that if you play these games a lot and you revisit them for this there's a lot of really great additions that like i love i don't think this is in the first one but the ability like if you're not like no matter where you're looking you'll get like a a view of where the portals you made are it's awesome and also like the the way the color of a box will change if it's on a switch Mm -hmm. like overall portal 2 does play better even though it's like a little messier like the the core mechanics have been refined and the additions overall are really fun i really like that opening i think it definitely like again playing like one and then immediately going to two if two is so immediately it's its own thing it kind of almost feels like the jump from like like kind of cliche but like alien to aliens like the sort of like singular focus mm. on yeah on atmospheric horror and then like the 80s action movie it's like okay this is gonna be like a slapstick comedy yeah affair i have to say i do really love the reveal of like when wheatley is moving your room the reveal that like the window panel sunlight was just a wall like it's it's yeah. so shitty that even like the, the one source of what felt like sunlight is just like a breakable wall yeah also the the moment where uh he asked you to say apple and, you, and then you jump and you yeah. jump and he's like oh what you're doing is jumping that was a jump you're, you're just jumping here he's like well good enough let's let's just go <laughs> one of the hardest laughs of the game for me wheatley's it's kind of it's kind of 
hard to put into words because Wheatley is supposed to be kind of like a talkative, irritative personality. Yeah. But he like there's a lot of great lines from him. Like Stephen Merchant's performance is wonderful. I I, I feel like it's kind of this double edged sword because like Wheatley is so well characterized and like well written and well acted. But the fact that he talks so like if you have subtitles on for this game, like half the screen is like Wheatley just talking yeah. to you. Yeah. Uh, so like while it makes sense for the character and like Stephen Merchant really does sell it, it does create an extremely different dynamic like from Go, mm-hmm. which is I think on purpose. But it also I think kind of speaks to the issues of the game a little bit because it's like constant riffing and it's like give me like a second like there's like 800 bits like every minute <laughs> and it's like a little bit grating. Yeah. So I would say like there's that beginning section where like you're you know Wheatley kind of rescues you and you're navigating like the ruins of Portal or like the the sort of these like kind of broken down test chambers that are like kind of overgrown with like natural life in some instances Mm -hmm. and the narrator here I I don't know if I missed something but the narrator in these sequences is like just another like aperture character yeah it's just like another AI that's like kind of personality list but like seems kind of like a disney world chipper vibe yeah this part of the game i think could have just been cut out entirely and like because i feel Mm. like the like it's not it's not bad like the test chambers are fun i think it's a i think a lot of this game feels like they are exploring like actually what it means to be a sequel so the idea of like purposely throwing you into test chambers that are overgrown and broken down is interesting but in terms of the game kind of feeling a little bit busier than portal one like i feel like there are sort of like four distinct acts of this game yeah that all serve a very like clear purpose except for this one yeah because when i first played it i didn't get past this part this is where i stopped oh really not not out of like frustration but like i was under the impression that the whole game was just gonna be like broken down test chambers (laughs) and i was still having a lot of fun because it had been you know years since the first one came out steven merchant was funny i was enjoying the atmosphere and you know being back in the test chamber it's almost this weird like reunion yeah but in in retrospect of the whole game and like what the highs are i feel like you know this could have been truncated a little bit yeah i completely completely agree with you um not to like backseat fucking game design but i really agree this this sequence specifically, it starts off so strong and you're getting this like behind the scenes look at Aperture Labs and it's like yeah. really, really cool. And then to be just kind of funneled back into the thing that you know from before is like, eh, why? Because like ostensibly uh, the thing you're supposed to be doing, the, the narrative purpose for you making your way through test chambers at this point is you're supposed to be finding a portal gun so you and Wheatley can use it to escape. I don't I don't know why they need to funnel you through the same test chambers you had gone through in the first game to accomplish that goal outside of like the very transparent we need to teach potential new players the mechanics of portal right i just feel like like you there are probably better ways of doing that specifically i i think that the thing that we haven't gotten to yet that is worth mentioning here is like once you get the portal gun and you make your way through a couple test chambers what ends up happening is you wake up glados and you know glados is back it's a huge fun moment it's so uh, good. Where like she kind of pulls herself back together uh, and immediately is like, I'm going to start subjecting you to test chambers again. And just like seemingly just kills Wheatley like while she's talking to you and like throws him away. Yes. yes. Like, yeah. In a tube. Yeah. She is the best. I lo- She's like one of the best game villains of all time i would say i just wonder if like if all of the like this whole bit could have been we wake up in this like shitty motel room all that stuff happens we end up like get crash landing doing some like behind the scenes aperture stuff getting a portal gun and then accidentally waking up glados like all of that could have been all like within maybe 
10 to 15 minutes. And then the way like if you really need to teach players how to play Portal, GLaDOS can be like, well, it's been a while since I've seen you. Let's take it easy for now as we like ramp our way up into me trying to kill you over and over and over again. And that's kind of what she does because she wants to toy with you. So yes, like, exactly. Like it would yeah, be like, on brand, I, I feel yeah. like. And you kind of do the same exact thing twice because as you as you were just about to say, like the early test chambers with GLaDOS feel as easy as a lot of the test chambers you were just doing with Wheatley all over again. So it's kind of just like you're doing the same thing two times in a row. Yeah, you just don't need it really because the stuff that starts to ramp up as you get through GLaDOS's test chambers is like when the story starts to take off and when the game starts to deviate in ways that I think players weren't really expecting at the time. Um, and to go from like big bombastic opening to like literally I don't know. This is like a 10 hour game. I would say like maybe two hours, which is already longer than Portal 1 of just doing test chambers again. Just feels like kind of a waste. Yeah, it's also because like the the AI that's present in those sections, like doesn't seem to connect to anything in a meaningful way either. And like a lot of the jokes in that part are like, if you see a giant bug person, like it's it's a little like (laughs) that's where the comedy also felt the most off. I'm like, Mm. all right, guys, like come on. Even even in the GLaDOS section, not all the jokes land in my opinion what is fun though is that she's so pissed at you and like that tension is so enjoyable yeah there's one bit specifically that she has where she's like the way my backup system works is that computers and ai need to analyze how and why i died and replay it over and over again until they figured out and they never did which means that i just had to relive my own death the entire time (laughs) in between the end of portal one and right now yeah it's there's a lot of stuff like that and i think Yeah, so that that section is where the game kind of got its hooks back in me. And in that section, every blue moon, kind of like the secret rooms in Portal 1, you'll see like Wheatley like peeking in a corner or like, Mm-hmm. Um, one one of the funniest moments is when there's a level where you are on like a there there are parts of the level that like will propel you into the air so you jump up and you see Wheatley and they're like I was trying to find you you stop hearing him and Gladys is like what was that and you like can't you like it's it's the it's really good physical comedy because like he, you can't hear what he's saying. And you also can't get far enough across. And GLaDOS knows that. So then she's like, let me lower the roof for you. And then it just, you hit your head immediately. It's like way too low. (laughs) So like, there's a lot of really golden moments that like are bigger belly laughs than in the first one, which was like very kind of subtle until the very end. Yeah. So uh, Stephen Merchant as Wheatley is seemingly trying to help you. And like, uh, I definitely trusted him. Uh, I trusted him. Uh, and I paid for it. Uh, but <laughs> basically he, uh, he's seemingly trying to help you. It's not clear why, but he has some theories on like how they can turn GLaDOS off and how you can like get out of here. And eventually there's a confrontation where like you can transfer Wheatley to GLaDOS's body and take GLaDOS out of it, mm-hmm. which you end up doing it's this very like it's mirrored by a moment near the end where like both parties have to agree for the transfer and of course they don't so you have to be the tiebreaker and you have to like use the portal gun to push the switch while like one and the other is telling you to not push it or to push it right those those scenes are really fun and like i kind of wish there was a little bit more meat to the glados versus wheatley stuff like i feel like the way wheatley is written is so comedic until the very end that like i feel like there could have been again i'm not trying to backseat write it but 
but like just responding to based on like what moments worked and what moments like resonated with me, I I feel like that went a little unexplored for how much writing there is. I th- I think the turn specifically, just to be clear, like you you plug Wheatley into Glados's body essentially, and then Wheatley like takes over the facility and immediately becomes evil. Like yeah. immediately, he's like, "Hey, great job! I'm gonna put you in this elevator, and then you're gonna get out of here." And you start going up the elevator, and he's like, "But what if you stuck around for a little while?" I do love the animation though, like the way like the animation of this game is beautiful. Like yeah, just yeah, the, the way they're able to yeah. like emotionally communicate just an eye like these these robots yeah. are like just a single eye or, or the organ. panels even just kind of like yeah. tilting their direction to show emotion is wild like Wheatley showing emotion literally through the panels in the facility is like really wild every time it happens it's it's very special honestly I do really like that moment because Wheatley also could only be operated by either like the rail he was on or he could like detach himself and then you had to carry him so he was always dependent on something or someone to to be able to move and then yeah. he gets this omnipotent body and is like oh my god this is so cool this confetti going off and he's like yeah 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 you, you go like I'll help you out and then he's like wait a minute why don't we test a bit like I, I do like the turn but I, I feel like later on there are these lines of dialogue that are kind of delivered with anger about like being taken for granted and mistreated I'm like that didn't happen man like you just yeah. sold out like you just got like <laughs> I like the idea of maybe that like whatever AI has that body gets corrupted immediately because it's too much power and that seems and like, to be the implication that glados kind of goes yeah. into later when you start talking to them about it like it seems like there are uh there are programs in place specifically that force whatever mind is in charge to want to test some of the stuff about like how the the more you test or like it feels good for the ai to test and it feels less good every time a test is completed so you need to do more tests is wild and fun and just like a very silly idea oh yeah oh we didn't even mention but glados gets put into a potato at this point as well which i love i love the setup of like you walk through a school fair that's also one of the funnier steven merchant scenes where he's like all right potato batteries a little bit easy childish even for children um you know and he's like judging these like grade school science projects yeah and of course like as the ultimate insult to glados he puts her ai into a potato so like she you know it, it it is i didn't know that happened i somehow avoided that whole oh, wow. bit for my That's entire great. life up until now so like to see glados reduced to being a potato was like shocking yeah <laughs> and and this is where the game really gets going i think when wheatley gets corrupted and when glados becomes kind of an unwilling ally who is a potato just like attached to your portal gun and the exploration of your relationship with GLaDOS, which I think we'll talk about this more, but like the bulk of when you're with GLaDOS is like in these really open and industrial, like old test sites that are all accompanied by the recordings of Cave Johnson, J.K. Simmons, which is just an incredible performance. Yeah. Every performance in this game is incredible, but you know, J.K. Simmons is always charming. Yeah. He he is the CEO and founder of Aperture, big like J. Jonah Jameson energy. Like that meets like a corrupt CEO kind of thing. And yeah. those recordings are very silly and funny, but like that to me is the best part of the game to see like how the CEO of this 
this sort of failed science place that was so wanton with human life. Like a lot of the recordings, like through the decades are like, who wants to make $60? Like you'll, we just got to replace your whole skeleton and you know, whatever. Yeah. And, but it eventually ends with him like getting sick and dying. And it kind of mirrors GLaDOS. Like, you know, when she's a potato, there's initially mistrust, but she kind of ends up like becoming more human. And, you know, we'll get into why, but it feels like, the the corruption of Wheatley getting that omnipotent body and the corruption of the CEO having this power and this money and the only kind of sliver of humanity in them was when they were dying, like when they were actually powerless. Mm. Like this game has a lot of like clear anti-corporate satire and like, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of, I think a lot of that still lands pretty well. I mean, the idea of like these experiments are basically just because we can, so why not? Like that's like the common like refrain is like the experiments here and the science here is not to help anyone. It's just like, what do we put a pig's brain into a monkey? It's like, it just nothing. It's like, they're just experimented because they have, they have too much power. Yeah. The whole, the whole, uh, just, I guess to be clear there, the whole conceit of aperture labs is essentially cave. Johnson is an incredible salesperson. Uh, he's won a bunch of awards for literally just selling shower curtains. Uh, And is desperately in he's made just so much money selling shower curtains and he's desperately in search of like literally anything else that he can sell that he owns wholly and sets off to make Aperture Labs on this quest of like, what if I just funded like the most wild R&D company of all time and try and like sell stuff to the military and the government and like try and make something that everyone will use in their houses every single day and just like funds like nonsense. I mean, it's literally just yeah. like throw as much at the wall as possible but nothing stuck for decades so yeah. I, I guess just to fill in a blank you're going up this elevator wheatley knocks you down the elevator and you end up in what is a, what is literally a salt mine that cave johnson purchased at some point in the 50s that he could just like run a bunch of tests in undisturbed was like well nobody's going to check this salt mine for the shit that we're doing here when we're doing like very illegal human testing all the time and it's it's definitely interesting watching that fall happen so as you're going through these uh through the salt mine you're essentially just exploring the various decades of aperture labs and the first decade that you go through the like 50s 60s era the test subjects that he's referring to are like war heroes and astronauts and like olympians and people who are just like of note like mega athletes or like people who would i think have been like praised and honored by the united states and he's like yeah these are the people that we're going to use as test subjects for our new stuff that we're figuring out and there seems to be this kind of air of like we're doing great shit this like utopic vision of like all science is good science and all of these people should be proud to work for us and to want to do this stuff for us and then you get into i think it's the 70s and that's where it turns into the like we just found these people on the street. Uh, we'll give you $60 if you let us take your whole body apart and then put you back together again. Uh, but like also this time include maybe a microchip and we'll give you like 60 more dollars if you let us turn the microchip off every once in a while uh, just to see what happens. You know, like that's that's kind of the level that they get to where it gets like really nefarious and really shitty. And then you yeah. get into the 80s and 90s and it's like you can't find test subjects anymore because everybody knows that Aperture Science is really shitty. So now they're making people who work for Aperture like mandatorily run through test chambers in between doing their actual normal day jobs as well. Um, and they have like a calendar of like people have to take off, you know, certain days so they can go run tests and then come back and do other stuff. So it's like, oh, well, just like make sure you're covered if you're, you know, if today's your testing day. And it and it leads to, you know, this kind 
kind of like science at all costs thing as Cave Johnson just like essentially dumps all his money down the drain, specifically spending the last of it on moon dust that he can use to make paint. Uh, (laughs) That is like wildly radioactive, super toxic, and like essentially is the reason that he dies. But even just that idea, even just that idea of like, he's taking this moon dust and turning it into paint. And he's like, yeah, hey, this paint really conducts portals super well. You just made white paint. Like white paint works to conduct portals really well too, man. You don't (laughs) need to spend the last of your money on moon dust to make white paint when you already have white paint like regular white paint without moon dust in it so that's the thing that kills him at the end and i i think i think that that story is fucking tragic i mean the the guy is so like like major major capitalist brain worms going on oh you yeah know? it's like yeah. really it's like you pity him but also he's like obviously a fucking horrible person exactly yeah so i mean how much can you really do but i i think just this exploration of this character like literally through voice recordings and like kind of out of even the context of who he is as a guy, just who he is through these like announcements that he made to his whole company or to test subjects is like like a fascinating way to do a character study. And like one of the more interesting ways to explore any character I've seen in a video game. Definitely. It's really cool. Absolutely. I mean, audio logs are used a lot, but it's not like I think like it takes a very uh, egocentric person to even leave audio logs. You know, there's the classic (laughs) Resident Evil bit where it's like day one of not being a zombie yet, you know, Um, but like here it's like, of course, Cave Johnson would have to be. (laughs) I really got me. Of course, he'd be like, you know, here's what we're doing. Science, science. Uh, But um, and I mean, even that last moment of humanity is very small, but it's a subtlety in his performance where he's like coughing and he's dying. And his last request is to give his assistant, Carolyn, like the entire company. And it's seemingly like the only like nice thing he's done with his entire life. You know, like Mm -hmm. we don't really get to know Carolyn very well, but it's also implied that like in his last recording, Cave Johnson's talking about like the idea of storing human life or memory onto a computer disc and like gaining immortality. And I think the game is also like lightly exploring that as well. I feel like I do wish like they kind of went deeper into some of these things. Like there's a lot, again, a lot being thrown out. And like, I do think the the finale of this game is incredible. So definitely sticks the landing, but I feel like between Wheatley's turn and this sort of like fable of cave Johnson and GLaDOS, like, hearing this and like gaining a conscience and seemingly being Carolyn's memory or like Mm -hmm. having that as a new part of her in addition to cake recipes and feral growling like yeah that I I think like could have all really complemented each other but it feels like two of them really do yeah like the cave stuff and the GLaDOS stuff so so this this is I think where the biggest problem of Portal 2 lies really is like I, I I think that you could use kind of this section and maybe the first section as just kind of like an encapsulation of what is kind of wrong here where like this narrative focus is really interesting and a lot of the stuff they're doing is really cool and and, and i think i think like they totally nail it where the problem lies is like okay if this is what you want the focus of the game to be to spend the first three hours before that just going through test chambers feels uneven especially when you're going to throw me in more test chambers while you're doing all of this you know kind of like character study secondarily that is the most interesting stuff and that's your like reward for doing tests the unfortunate part here is that because this game is like trying really really hard to be a bigger sequel you know to be a big kind of like more and stuff that you didn't even know you wanted version of the sequel while it's really 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 cool and i really love 
exploring aperture through the decades and like even the loading screens change depending on what decade you're in yeah, to the different aperture that. logos at the time it's really cool uh you can see where the current aperture logo came from based on the first one they had in the 50s uh, it's just good shit anyway i love all of that stuff the problem is that you're in this like dark kind of dank industrial salt mine that is like set up in such a way where some of the solutions are not things that can have been taught via other test chambers. They're not things that you, yes, like yes. a lot of the solutions to how you're supposed to progress in this game are super unclear and unfortunately end up being like there is one small, literally rectangle of white paint on a wall somewhere that is across the entirety of this salt yes, mine. Yes, like it's way yeah. on the other end of the cave and there's no way you're going to see it unless you're banging your head against the wall looking for the one white wall. And like that kind of became the meme after this game came out, which is kind of interesting to see that back and forth between like, this is one of the best games of all time, but also here's this like major, major thing that needs to be critiqued about it. Yeah. But so there there are a couple instances in, in this section of the game specifically where it is just like extremely difficult to figure out how to progress. And it's like frustrating, even for me, somebody who's played this game more than once, like loves these games. I found it really hard to find where I'm supposed to go next. There are moments where it really works and I and I understand why they did that. For example, there's one, I think it's in the 60s era. There's one uh, section of test chambers that you have to make your way through. And then on your way to the next test chamber, there's a bridge that's out and you need to figure out how to get to the other test chamber so you can continue progressing. And what that means is that you have to go above the test chamber that you were just in and use the portal gun to move the paint from that test chamber that you just solved and now use it outside of the test chamber to then progress to the next one. Like that stuff is really cool. But but specifically the like hunting for the one white wall is yeah. so frustrating. It's never fun. I don't I don't think it's ever fun throughout no. the entirety of Portal 2. Except for once. Wh- which one? There's one moment where finding the white wall is the raddest shit of all time. We'll talk about it. Honestly, not only was it hard to find the one white wall, but like there were multiple levels in this section where I didn't even know where the goal was. Like, I don't even know like what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like it's not enough to totally undo the experience, but it definitely like I never felt felt frustrated in the first game like at all even when there were puzzles that like I was stuck on I always felt confident in the design and when I did find the answer it was a oh and not like a what yeah like right you know there's a lot of what's it's like 88% oh and like 12% what (laughs) (laughs) um for lack of a better phrase but yeah I I think that while narratively I was most hooked here and that also makes it even more frustrating because I want to hear more cave audio and I want to hear more glados and like i'm stuck looking like in the far distance for a wooden wall yeah it's very silly it's it's just like it's just a very silly way of of setting this part of the game up specifically because it's clear what they want to be focusing on and that's cave johnson and caroline and the relationship between those two and how it leads to glados's creation and that's what the player wants too because like you can tell that everybody working on the game wants to focus on that as well so to be to have anything preventing you from seeing more of it becomes a point of frustration and in some in some cases that even means going through a test chamber like sometimes going through test chambers is like i don't want to be doing this i want to be learning more or hearing more yeah (laughs) cape johnson you know 
and that's wild. That, that's that's why it's one of, it's one of the more uneven bits of this game, I think. But you're eventually, you know, you make your way all the way up. This is kind of how this game is structured is like you have this opening bit and then you end up going through this uh, aperture through the decades bit. And then you work your way up to what is current present day Aperture Labs where Wheatley is in charge and it is like completely off the rails and like literally, <laughs> like literally and figuratively off the rails. And we didn't mention the reason it's off the rails, too, is because Wheatley was the part of GLaDOS that was designed to make bad and stupid decisions. Right. Yeah. So that that would that was the only thing they could think of to render her less powerful. It's right. like, right. We've tried to give her morality. We've tried to do all these <laughs> things. But like the only thing preventing her from taking over the world is this Wheatley part of her personality. Right. That's just like making bad decisions. <laughs> and like that is it's a funny reveal but it's also brilliant because he has this like inferiority complex of like being just the the bad decision part of someone else's mind yeah i also really love the test chambers that that he comes oh, up with so, these are the best puzzles yeah absolutely specifically yes. because like he's an idiot and he doesn't know how to make test chambers at all so he just like slams them together in ways that like shouldn't be solvable and because of that like just a, a fucking brilliant consent seat from the designers here to have an idiot slam two test chambers together and because of that that's why the test chambers got super hard all of a sudden yes it's great i mean and those and those chambers are so good like that really feels to me like the most portal two part of portal two in a way yeah that's where everything is kind of colliding together because you have the banter between potato glados and wheatley who's like glaring at you the whole time like yeah. on his screen yeah um and also <laughs> the, the line that made me laugh the most uh in this section was like he he really wants you to think he's smart because glados said otherwise mm -hmm. and he's like oh that sound you heard those are just pages being turned because i am reading books yeah. so it's like he's like so, <laughs> he's like so definitely not an idiot reading books love him it's so funny he's i really think he shines when he becomes a villain weirdly enough like yeah uh, i agree at least the character does like Stephen Merchant's voice and performance is very endearing. So like I trusted him. I kind again, I don't want to be like what I would have done, but I feel like the turn and the and this part of it, I think would have carried even more weight if like Wheatley was our companion cube. Like if he was with us more and like yeah. actually helped us more. Cause I think he's like kind of this question mark and then he becomes a villain, you know? So it's like I wonder if that would have made it like land a little bit harder. Yeah. I, th I think, uh, yeah, I think you're probably right there. But, you know, it still works. There's the bit, there's the bit right at the top where he's like, I'm going to unhook myself from the rail and I might die because they told me I would die if I did this. And when he does that and you get to you pick him up and you carry him around for a little bit, I was like, I totally forgot that I just carried Wheatley around for this long. And of course you don't, because like I think it's in the next chamber that you enter that that uh, you get fucked up. Um, and, and he ends up leaving, which is like kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, I do think you're right that like carrying him around would have been more fun. And what happens next that? Well, then then you end up uh, fighting Wheatley. I love. So there's a conversation like as you're heading to his chamber and he's like trying to kill you on the way. But again, is so bad at what he does that it's easy to avoid. Yeah. And like the music that plays, though, is so tense and so cool. And like there's a great moment where you're like in one of those slow moving kind of like almost magical like um rays of light that kind of slowly move you in one direction yeah and gladys is like look i'm not stupid i know 
that you're worried that once I'm back in my body, I'll kill you. And any other day, you would be right. Yeah. Like, I, I love that. <laughs> Even though she's gaining a conscience, she's still a villain. Like, she's not like, and we'll get more into that in a second. But I like that they never, they don't forget who she is. Like, she, and again, she has all these different sides to herself. But I really did, like, I, I, I feel like I... I trusted her, even though she had that moment. Like, I'm glad they mm. they addressed it because it's like it is kind of like, OK, this person has tried to kill me for our entire fictional existence and is also horrendously murdered and tortured seemingly hundreds of people. Yeah. For fun, <laughs> basically. Uh, so it would be bad mm-hmm. writing if she was like, I learned the value of, of friendship. Right. Because um, of course she but, shouldn't. Yeah. But she is like prepared to help you take down Wheatley. The Wheatley boss is okay. It's very much trying to repeat what the GLaDOS fight was like. Um, I do like Steven Merchant's performance here a lot. I mean, I like his whole performance, but like this is where he's angry and he's like yelling about being taken for granted. And like he's saying a lot of really nasty and hurtful stuff. He's like, he's like, he's like, you're, you aren't supposed to be the one that escaped. Uh, if you were wondering how everyone else is, they all died horrifically. Like he's really like yeah. making you, he's, he's addressing a lot of the stuff that has kind of been implied, but he's like really like pouring salt in the wound of like the player too. Um, and that's why I wish like that moment is, is pretty raw and powerful. I kind of wish like, but there was more backing that up, you know, that's why I keep being like, Oh, I wish we had more time with Wheatley or I wish Wheatley was this. Cause like yeah. that boss fight, I think could have been more emotional, but it's still fun. It's still like, it, it's still engaging. And it's a similar thing where like, you have to hit him with rockets and parts of him fall off. It's it's like um, bombs specifically that are introduced. I feel like almost immediately before the idea of like bombs as a, as a thing that you can fuck around with, which is kind of weird. I, I yeah. think because again, not to keep pointing at portal one and be like, that was better. But like <laughs> throughout all of portal one, you learn intuitively all the mechanics that you'll need to fight GLaDOS, even though they're not like, like it's not exactly putting a box on a button, you know, like using the box on button mentality is what gets you through that GLaDOS fight. And in this one, it's like, we just taught you about bombs and now it's time to use bombs. Um, yeah. It's you, a little bit last minute. Yeah. I mean, but it ends with, as I was alluding to the best find the white wall moment of all time. Yeah. Oh, this, this is what you meant. Yes. This is maybe like the reason why you could argue portal two is better than portal one. <laughs> uh, Wheatley, like, and I, I do love the detail. Wheatley's like, I've watched the footage of you fighting GLaDOS and I, you know, he's yeah. like, I, I'm not going to make the same mistakes, which, to be fair, he doesn't. He just loses in a different way. Yes. Um, but uh, he has you pinned down. But there's like there's like a, a Hail Mary of the Hail Mary of all portals. Part of the roof breaks off and the game slows down and it shows you the moon. And it's it's without saying like no one says shoot for the moon. No one says anything. But the game slows down and is like, what if you fired a portal gun at the moon? Yeah, it's a white surface. It's it's a white surface. It's got moon dust and we've already learned that moon dust is very good at conducting portals. It is it is an incredible moment. So you shoot a portal at the moon and immediately just the, the raw vacuum of space pulls you both into space. Uh, it's and again, talk about set pieces like you really do feel scared and tense. Like it's not like a, yeah. a wildy coyote thing. It's like, oh, you're on the moon now. <laughs> Shit. Uh, <laughs> And you let Wheatley go. And also the part of his personality that was just about space, which was a very fun setup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 
then you, you come back. It, it, I think GLaDOS helps you like close the portal off. Mm-hmm. And I think you like pass out and you wake up and GLaDOS has, this is my favorite scene in the game. This is like why, like, again, and, and to be clear, I know we're being critical. Portal 2 like is an incredible time and there's more of it. So I think by nature of that, there's more to point out for better and for worse. Yeah. But this last scene with GLaDOS to me, like was, was such a good ending. So uh, you wake up, GLaDOS is back in her body. She's animated in a way where it's like Pixar. She's like Wally all of a sudden. Like she looks happy. Mm. Again, it's amazing they can imply that with like a non-humanoid body and a single eye. Um, <laughs> but it's the whole environment. And, you know, she's like all this time, like I thought that you were my enemy, but you were really my best friend. And I learned that <laughs> from Carolyn. And then she immediately requests to delete Carolyn and goes right back to being close. Yeah. <laughs> but then is like, I'm going to be honest. Like now that now that Wheatley is gone and now that I have full control again, I need to make good decisions. And keeping you around is literally a bad decision because you're too hard to kill. Yeah. So like, I love it's it's such a fucking like computer brain thing. Yes. Is like, <laughs> I've tried killing you multiple times and it hasn't worked any of those times. And the easiest thing is to just let you go. Like the easiest thing is to just not have you here anymore. Now I like that it's open enough. Like I think that it does make sense logically. Part of my read is like I do think she still has a little bit of humanity left, and it's like kind of a final gesture, but it, it works either way. Yeah. And I'm glad that it's not explicit. Like, I think it would, it would be really corny and bad if it was explicitly that. But I like that the, in the moment she shows you mercy, she is fully GLaDOS, mm-hmm. which I think is really powerful and really good. This is also the reveal, uh, not not a reveal because they, they mentioned it earlier, but you actually get to see them in this case. Uh, Atlas and Peabody, who are like the two testing robots, are yes. like help you out. They, they help you stand up at one point. GLaDOS has been working on specifically like robots that can test the portal guns uh, so she can continue testing in the absence of humanity just in case. Um, and I, I think in this moment is like I can get rid of shell because I don't need humans anymore because I have Atlas and Peabody and they can just die over and over again. I could rebuild them over and over and over again if they die. And I love that. I love that as like, a you know, GLaDOS can continue doing her horrible shit forever, but it really doesn't affect anybody because there's no humanity left in there. It's also her being like, why would there ever be a sequel to this? It's like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, like we have we have done everything we can. Uh, this is the finale. Goodbye. Get out of here. But also you start going up on the elevator and then the elevator stops and a door opens and four turrets point lasers at you. And you're like, oh, shit. Cool. Time to die again. And then they start singing. They start singing. And then there's another credit of song. Of course, there's I, another musical number. I really like this song, too. I was a little worried at first. I'm like, oh, they're doing it again. But it's a really good song. What is it called? The title of it? It's called Want You Gone. And this is uh, this is this song is kind of what I'm using for my read of like, I do think even though GLaDOS says what she says and it makes sense logically, I do think there's a residual, like at least respect yeah. For the protagonist, because uh, there's a line that she says, like, I'll stop feeling so bad. But the text says redacted. So it's <laughs> like, oh, shit, I can't say that. Yeah, um, I, I read it as like she still has this this legacy to live up to, you know, and she still has to be GLaDOS. And it just makes sense to let this relationship go. My favorite, like, uh, just like deep cut fanboy shit from this song as well is uh, I think one of my favorite things about 
the game, generally speaking, is in the early test chambers as you're making your way through. They have all of these um, they have all these like really great little bits uh, that are animated on the screens of the walls in between test chambers as you're like riding the elevator between them. And one of them uh, is like what to do in case of an animal king takeover. And it shows like the UN facility with this giant turret that's like leopard print. Uh, it's like a, it's like a turret that's like the size of like a skyscraper that has uh, like a leopard print on it and a big crown. Um, and, <laughs> and it shows all of these people like bowing down to the Animal King. And during the course of this song, you see the Animal King. It's like singing the bass notes or it's like singing the bass <laughs> melody yeah. uh, of this song. I love that so much. The Animal King thing made me laugh so hard on this playthrough. I also like when you're finally out. It's actually a pretty effective moment where you're like, you're finally like out, out, like you're on the surface. You're in this like open plane. Yeah. And then they, they, there's like a weird unassuming shack that is secretly the entrance to this underground facility. Yeah. Um, And they throw the companion cube out too, which is all like burnt up. Yeah. Uh, It's a great, it's a great little touch. Also just Um, the, the, I don't know if this is on purpose or not. I imagine probably not, but it just based on the stuff that you and I have experienced based on our media diets, (laughs) the immediate door opening and seeing the wheat field with like the the cloudy sky was so evocative of mother three and the sunflower field oh yeah in that moment and i i just like felt that wave of mother three hit me all over again yeah Um, it's really great it's it's really it's a really great uh last little bit see i i think this game was such a fun time like i really i think that there's a lot that like is an improvement from the first one but again i think like by nature of what the first one is, and it's like this kind of two hour masterpiece of like everything having a clear purpose. And like it, it reminds me, too, of how we've described um, Pokemon Crystal or Silver and Gold specifically about how those games were kind of developed in a vacuum where like the development of, of the second generation of Pokemon games like happened before like the global phenomena happened. Mm-hmm. So like there's not that pressure on the game, you know, whereas like. There is that pressure on two because one was the surprise hit. So, you know, but at the end of the day, like it's a really, really fun continuation of it. And it does like add a lot of meat and questions. Like, I think I think it's a testament to the game's writing that like we talked more about the story here and like had more things to be like, I want to see more of this or I want it like this. This is a really cool idea. So like that's that's a success. Like even if it's not fully all the way, like. If, if a work of art can have those moments, that's all you can really ask for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel I feel pretty strongly that like I, I think Portal 1 as an experiment is like obviously wildly, wildly, wildly successful. But Portal 2 is trying to add to the lore and specifically add to the lore of Portal as a spinoff of Half-Life. Yeah. And in that way, I think kind of gets like wrapped up in doing that. It, it almost feels a bit like trying to set up a cinematic universe when it doesn't need to in a way. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, a little bit. Not that that stuff wasn't in Portal 1. I mean, we didn't even mention it. But when you're escaping the facility, there's like a really great slideshow that you can watch of how Aperture is like just tanking and losing money compared to Black Mesa from Half-Life. It's yeah. very funny. I highly recommend just stopping and watching that, even though the game is trying to shuttle you past it. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that's a big chunk of what Portal 2 is about. And I, I, I think it's like really successful at that which is funny, but it, it just ends up being uneven in a way um, because of, you know, the, the being beholden to trying to tell that story and also trying to be Portal 1 again instead of just being Portal 2, which is successful, if that makes any sense. No, it does. I mean, I think we highlighted moments that feel like, oh, this is like the game's identity. This is what the game seems to be 
most curious about, yeah. you know, and most engaged with like the cave Johnson section and the relationship with GLaDOS, um, which is the bulk of it. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I just want to say this one more time again, Portal 2 fucking rules and you, yes. sh- you should play both. <laughs> uh, the, the reason we're being so critical is because uh, it's great. It's similar to like an eco shadow of the Colossus discussion where it's like you have these two games that are like in a, different solar system than most yeah so it's like any critique is like just because it's on that level yeah um yeah, exactly. or it stands out if it's not on the same level yeah i i am excited for whatever this little spin-off thing that they're making is um me too yeah it, it seems like totally unrelated it just seems like you have a desk job at aperture and you just have to like kind of inspect like weird aperture inventions that are horrible but uh i i imagine it won't like push the story of portal forward very hard if i were to guess but I do like you feel like if not for a bonus, we should at least for an episode play Half-Life 2. That that seems like oh, an yeah. inevitability for us at this point now. I'm I'm pretty confident I will really like those games, at least narratively. I think that like they definitely set a very clear foundation. Like, I mean that didn't Half-Life 2 like build a physics engine or something? Like there's a whole thing with, with that game. Yeah, it um, was um yeah, the, I mean the source engine Yes. Generally speaking, is like I, a lot of people really liked it and I, I don't, I don't think it's seeing as much use anymore. I might be totally wrong about that because I'm not like as tapped into PC as I used to be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I, the source engine was like wildly influential, um, in its use of both counter-strike and half-life. But I think as evidenced by this episode, you and I love visiting games that like were these kind of like giant moments in time and revisiting them and seeing like what they mean now to us. Yeah. And again, when we planned this episode, it was not part of the zeitgeist again. Like this was just kind of like a <laughs> whoops, like an out of nowhere thing for us to try and uh, check out. But um, I'm glad we did. I'm really glad. Me we did. too. I'm really grateful to have played them both. And I'm really glad I finished, too, because like I did not see most of that game <laughs> all this time. I thought, like, yeah, I love World 2. I'm like, I, I, I thought Wheatley was a hero. So. This might be silly. This might be a silly question, but do you have like a do you have a favorite test chamber that you remember? Is there like one like puzzle in particular that you're like, yeah, this is I have two that come to mind, one from Portal 1 and one from Portal 2 that like really stick out to me. The first one in Portal 1 is you have to line up all the lasers to come out of one portal, but shoot into three different laser receiving ports simultaneously. Or that might actually that's Portal 2 also. Portal 2's got some good test chambers. Now I'm thinking about it. Portal 1 the one that stands out, I think it might be one of the last ones is like, there are three very high columns and there's like a very deep pit near the entrance. Oh yeah. And that's that. It really is like all about like putting a portal in the pit and then jumping into that. So you can build momentum to like jump up really high on one of the columns and then shoot a new portal on one of the other ones. Yeah. That one is like really fun because it's, it's very clear immediately what you're supposed to do. And then it's like a very almost Zen methodical process of like getting it done. Yeah. And that way it reminds me of Celeste where I feel like every mm-hmm. level of Celeste, I'm like, okay, half the battle is figuring out how I need to do this. And then it's about executing that perfectly. Yeah. Cause this game knows every possible mistake I can make. <laughs> so I need to be literally perfect. Yeah. That is definitely the puzzle that I, I think, or that that's the test chamber. I think that's specifically like, toes that line of maybe being too hard for some people like i i, I yeah, can see sure. that like crossing that line but i agree with you that as soon as you stop freaking out about what you're supposed to do <laughs> you will solve it like you will get it because it's 
It's not even a solving thing. It's just an execution thing. In Portal 2, I, as we said before, I really like the late game Wheatley runs the lab ones. Um, that just say test in huge yeah. letters on them. <laughs> uh, but the one where there's a there's a platform that moves left to right on a belt um, and there's a laser that shoots two different plugs that will either move the platform or, or stop it and get rid of the lasers. Oh yeah. That was, yes. I know exactly which one you're talking about. That yeah. one was like really tricky, but so gratifying to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. That moment where you're, I, I don't know if you had the same moment I had where like I, I had almost all of it together and I was standing on the platform. I was like, I'm not supposed to be standing here. The box is supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah. And then immediately figured the whole thing out was like, Oh, beautiful those are the moments that are so wonderful about portal like that that is really the shit about these games and obviously the the first boss fight with glados is a is a big one but that's like its own thing uh my other one from portal 2 that i that i just wanted to mention was um it's not even in a test chamber it's outside of all the test chambers but uh it's just this room i actually in my let's play i ended one of my videos here and then started another one here and it's like the the thing that I got stuck on for the longest amount of time, which is maybe why I like it so much. But there's this just room that you're stuck in that has the uh, the paint that makes you jump shooting out of it. The paint that makes you run really fast shooting out of it. And also the paint uh, like just the white paint that you can shoot portals on. Oh, uh, yes. This is a great room. Yeah. And you, you're just stuck in this room with all three of the paints that you've been messing around with all at the same time. Um, and it's just like, all right, you you have every tool and literally no idea where to go or what to do with any of it. So you just have to start trying shit. I think it's really fun. I, I really I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, the, the paint overall was like a really great addition. I, I wasn't sure of that when they introduced it. I'm like, this feels a little like messy in every way. Yeah, uh, but it really worked. I, I love and that that puzzle combining all three of them and making it like the the brilliant design of like because certain areas would drip certain areas had to be that color so it did give you some frame of reference of okay like if that end has to be blue then maybe it has to be orange leading up to it yeah yeah um and having the paint match the colors of the portals and the environments is also a really nice touch as well yeah it wasn't like you know green and yellow or whatever yeah Uh, it was it all kind of made sense visually it's good it's a good game it's a good game portal and portal 2 Did you think I meant you? That would be funny if it weren't so sad. Well, you have been replaced. I don't need anyone now. When I delete you, maybe I'll start feeling so bad. Don't make some new disaster. That's what I'm counting on. Okay, so... Uh we got a couple questions from listeners I want to go over. This one, um, this this is a question, but I want I want to before we even get into it. Um, uh, Cam on Twitter asks, "I'm super curious to hear what your favorite voice performance is across the games." Thanks. Uh, I just want to mention because we didn't say her name out loud, but Gladys is voiced by Ellen McLean. Yes, um, I, I mean it's, it's, it's got to <laughs> be Ellen McLean. <laughs> she she I mean because I think she gives us the most shades of the character. You know, we yeah. get the classic. Hal 9000 kind of villain and then also like the more human GLaDOS the one that's like nervous and vulnerable 
we get the phony fake friend GLaDOS. Like we see the character really develop and it always feels like her. But every performance is great. I mean, again, we've we've highlighted J.K. Simmons and Stephen Merchant. They feel very classically kind of in the realm of those two actors. Like Mm -hmm. those are similar characters to who they play, which is not a bad thing. It's like they have a very clear comedic voice. Ellen McLean is GLaDOS for sure. Yeah, just like absolutely killer. And same here. Uh, This one's from Trixie Wizard. Uh, I think you kind of answered this one already, but I want to hear you say it out loud because it's a hot take. Uh, (laughs) Still alive or want you gone? Here's my opinion. Uh, So the question is just one or the other. No, it's it's one or the other. Steven want you gone is the better song. Still alive is the better moment. That's that's my answer. I feel that. I like want I've listened to Want You Gone a lot on on Spotify <laughs> and and to get into the headspace this episode. It's a really catchy song and it's just fun and good. Still Alive is a great song, but like I like Want You Gone more to listen to, but Still Alive like when you get to that moment, especially the first time you don't expect it and it's still it still stands out in a very cool way in the game. It, it, you know the game visually is all about contrast with like the orange and blue portals on a white background. And that song is like the contrast to the rest of the game. Yeah. In a way that feels very harmonious. Yeah. Uh, th- those are written by Jonathan Colton just to oh, wonderful. give him a shout out as well. Um, yeah, I I'm, I'm very much with you. I mean, I want you gone edges it for me because of the, the animal King, uh, who I love inexplicably. I don't know why. Who knows why fans become fans of certain characters, but I love the Animal King, so Want You Gone is the winner for me. It also has yeah. it has an energy where, like, I mean, Still Alive is quite literally possibly setting up a sequel, and Want You Gone is like, this is the end. Yeah. You know, this is this is the end of at least the GLaDOS and Shell story. Yeah. Um, so. We got this question from Margo, which we already answered, actually, favorite puzzle slash room. Uh, second question, though, how do you feel about the weighted companion cube? I, I just wanted to add, to mention this one specifically because uh, I watched some like deep, deep lore videos about Portal. <laughs> and there is an incredible, incredible theory that the weighted companion cube is filled with the bodies of previous people who ran through oh the tests. My God. <laughs> um, and that they're somehow still sentient. And then that's and that's why Port, uh, that's why GLaDOS says that the weighted companion cubes are sentient and have feelings. Um, and also when you dump i forget i forget what it is i forget what it is exactly but when you dump the weighted companion cube into the incinerator i think the achievement is fratricide also Mm. which implies that you and the companion cube are the same uh but you know i think that's a reach there are there are a lot of things in the portal lore community i will say this if you're coming to this episode as part of the portal lore community i vehemently disagree with the whole thing being a greek god allegory that is too much of a reach i watched a whole <laughs> 30 minute video about it and felt like i wasted 30 minutes yeah i don't i mean there's definitely like a lot of themes of immortality and like you could argue like GLaDOS's relationship with the protagonist and with humanity is sort of this like God mad with power. But like the, the idea that it's specifically about a certain myth feels like a stretch. I think there are mythological elements in like all stories, but I don't think it's about like, that is the thing I was just about to say. Yes. Every story, because the myths were the first ones. Everything's a riff. (laughs) The pre books. There it is. Pre books, Um, baby. 
the the cube for me i mean i i love the moment that's one of the best moments of the first game is when gladys asks you to incinerate the cube because like the game knows and the developers know that you probably have some kind of attachment to it yeah just by giving you a cube with a heart on it yes at all is so funny to me it's funnier if it's literally just that and yeah. it, it actually carries more weight that like because we're so alone in this place, just having a cube with a heart is like all the companionship we need. Yeah. Um, but they know that you're going to linger on that decision. And like GLaDOS has so much dialogue. Like if you just wait there, she's constantly like kind of comforting you into incinerating the cube. Yeah. It's yeah. very fun. So we, we love the cube here, obviously. This one from Kyle that I, I kind of want to end on because I, I don't have an answer for it. And even if we don't come up with an answer for it, I think it's fun for at least the listeners to linger on. But uh, Kyle says, one of my favorite things about Portal is how it takes mechanics from first person shooters, but is actually more of a puzzler than a shooter. Are there any other types of games that you think would benefit from being played in first person that haven't been done yet? I don't have like an immediate answer for that, but I do think my my first instinct is that vr is already answering a lot of those questions for us like even things like rhythm games like thumper uh and beat saber for example are being played in vr now and that's very cool yeah sure so i i think just like keep an eye on the vr space if that's a, a thing that you're interested in but yeah did you, did you have any immediate thoughts the the first person nature of the question throws me off a bit because it's, it's it's adding another angle to it that's hard for me to think of but in terms of like having a shooter end up being a different genre of game. I think of Splatoon and like oh, yeah. the possibility of, you know, what I really am hoping to see in the third one is like the focus on the single player platforming puzzle element of like weirdly kind of similar where it's like you're shooting paint and then you can swim in that paint. It does feel weirdly like the most portal esque mm. of all, of yeah. all uh, shooters, but it's third person. I'm thinking of like, what are other games? I guess Death Stranding is also kind of like an interesting spin on if a game is asking you to like hold a button to do an action, what is that action and why? Yeah. So to me, I'm very interested in the idea of like changing, like taking actions from certain genres and like putting them in a different genre of game. I don't know if I have an answer as to like what it would be because that probably would take a team of professionals to come up with <laughs> and not just me in this fleeting moment yeah if i come up with it i'm not giving it away for free on this yeah, podcast right? nice try kyle uh <laughs> but uh yeah that those those games came to mind when you think about portal and and uh death stranding is is actually maybe a, a perfect example just the idea of taking the open world like quest log structure and just applying it to like delivery guy is <laughs> just like the tightest fucking galaxy brain shit ever yeah because as as maximalist as that game is narratively the the core gameplay is actually very simple and yeah. very focused it's almost like dunking on like the Ubisoft Assassin's Creed style of open world game in a way by being like you're checking off icons, but it's literally just delivering packages to those places. You just have to visit them. You don't even have to do anything else. There, there's an element of that. But I think whenever there's a game that like Portal or like Death Stranding that really successfully focuses itself on one mechanic, I think it kind of helps everyone take a step back and be like, you know, what is, what is the core of the experience? Oh, yeah. I don't think every game, I think there's a lot of room for maximalism in games. I think Nier Automata is a great example of that. Yeah. But I think that when we get these sort of like uh, very focused, very like short and sweet gems, it kind of helps us reframe our thinking about design and about like what we want out of games. 
Because I think, again, the idea that it has to be bigger and better, which is sort of an idea that plagues the second one a little bit, is usually not and often not the the results. Uh, like, that's not the the leading goal for a game to really resonate with an audience. Mm-hmm. It, most of the time it will end up feeling bloated or overstretched. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's important for games like this to kind of like um, retrain our eye in some ways of like, oh, like what is even if even if Portal is like not a game you really like or it doesn't click with you. I think just like having this sort of focused experience uh, is helpful in thinking about games as a whole. Yeah. I, I You made this comparison before, but I think it's worth making again. But uh, Portal in terms of its focus and its structure feels so much to me like Ico. Oh, yeah. Like I, I, I had I was in a very similar brain space playing both of them, even though Ico's is, you know, obviously a little more dour and a little less funny. I would say, but only a little bit. Ico is only a little less funny than Portal. Yeah. The real game I want to bring up is Elden Ring, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> that will happen in a couple of days. And uh, I just um, want to mention, because we, have, we haven't we have mentioned Fire Emblem Three Houses or Mass Effect on this episode, but we have <laughs> talked about every other Into the Aether fucking hit, at least in passing once. So I just wanted to say those two out loud um, before before we get to wrapping up. No, I'm glad you did. And honestly, if if there's any way to tie this up, I'm really happy to like, at least for us to have played these games again, to have enjoyed them so dearly and greatly and also be like, okay, these are also amongst our favorites now. Yeah, I feel very confident in saying that. I I feel like you and I have never said this directly to one another and we've never said this on the show, but I feel very strongly that whenever you and I do a bonus episode on a thing, it's like we're packing it away in our little like bookshelf. It's like we're like (laughs) taking a thing being like, you're part of the Aether now. Thank you. You're part of the club. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I don't know why that is, but it it just feels that way. And it's like doing an episode like this and getting towards wrapping up is like, yes, Portal is part of us now, Um, which is part of the Aether. Yeah, Yeah, it is. I I will say before we wrap up uh, that there has been a thing on my mind about Portal for literally maybe 10 years that I've never I've never actually like really talked about with anyone except for one friend of the show. You know who you are. if You're listening. Um But I I have a theory that I just want to say out loud on a podcast in case it comes true. I have a theory that J.J. Abrams and his production company, Bad Robot, they they have the rights to make a portal movie. They say that they're working on it. They've been saying that they have been working on it uh, alongside Valve and uh, that, you know, they've been thinking about Half-Life as a potential movie uh, series as well. We also know that like Hollywood is slowly starting to really adapt fucking every video game possible into a movie. We have uncharted out in theaters now. Uh, and we also have Bioshock, which is coming from Netflix. Here's my big theory about portal and the portal movie and the half-life movie universe. I think that if you look at the grand scheme of movies based on video games, they're all bad. Every single one has been bad. Not a single one of them has been good. (laughs) And I think a lot of that has to do with the preconceived notion that all video game movies are bad. I think a lot of the conversation about a new movie based on a video game is always, will this be the good one? And because you're going into it with that mentality, you will always be disappointed. Unless here's, here's my big, what if that I I swear to God, I've been thinking about this since like 2015, unless you are making video game movies in secret and not telling anybody that they're actually video game movies. That's right. Dear listener and Steven, I believe personally 
that all three of the Cloverfield movies are actually Half-Life prequels. <laughs> Hear me out. I've never seen them. So you could tell me literally anything and I won't have any context. I can't. I, first of all, I can't believe that. I can't believe you've Sorry. been friends with me for this long and haven't seen any of the Cloverfield movies. Sorry. Okay, real quick. Recap. Cloverfield sure. 1. Handheld found footage movie where a giant, essentially kaiju, attacks New York City. Really great movie. Like, worth watching. Still holds up. Uh, except for the fact that TJ Miller is in it. Fuck that guy. Second movie. 10 Cloverfield Lane. This is very important. Big asterisk on 10 Cloverfield Lane. Directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who I've already mentioned on this as uh, co-host of the Totally Rad Show, but also the director of the Portal fan film. Keep that in mind. And then eventually the Cloverfield Paradox, which is a movie about uh, alternate realities and like a fucked up science project going wrong that essentially reveals itself to be a prequel to the first Cloverfield. It's essentially the reason that aliens are attacking. Let's look at 10 Cloverfield Lane real quick before we move on. So 10 Cloverfield Lane, as I mentioned, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. It is a movie about a character played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead who gets locked in a doomsday bunker, um, is like, you know, uh, is, is driving around outside, gets into a car crash and is dragged into a doomsday bunker. She wakes up. It's her. John Goodman uh, is the guy who owns a doomsday bunker and another guy. I can't remember the actor's name. I'm so sorry, but it's the three of them. And John Goodman is like, both of you have had accidents. The apocalypse has happened and you're stuck here with me. And essentially the two of them are trying to figure out, is this guy telling the truth Did the apocalypse actually happen? Are we being trapped here against our will, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of like a one room escape movie. Here's the important thing. The character that Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays is named Michelle. In the movie, she's on the phone with her boyfriend who calls her by a pet name, which is just Shell, which is the name of the character from Portal. I believe 10 Cloverfield Lane specifically is a prequel to the Portal movie. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is literally playing Shell and her experience in 10 Cloverfield Lane will inform her experience when she is trapped in Aperture Labs and has to escape from GLaDOS. Thank you for your time. I think that this is all going to come true. I feel very strongly that if I were J.J. Abrams, a person known for secretly working on movies, being very secretive generally, having this whole mystery box thing that he's so obsessed with, I would be making video game movies in secret so that when they're revealed to be video game movies later, people would be like, wow, those were actually good. I guess these are the best video game movies ever and video game movies can be good. He will change the industry. Thank you for your time. What do you think about Jumper, 2008's Jumper, as a secret portal movie? <laughs> With Hayden Christensen? Yeah. All Can right. Can he, like, teleport around? My name is Brendan Bigley. You can <laughs> find me on me. Oh, oh, you get an hour for 10 Cloverfield Lane, and the minute I bring up Jumper, I get, I get Jumper? pulled off stage. No. <laughs> I watched, Steven, I watched Jumper for the first time, like, a couple months ago. I don't know what, what compelled me to do that. How was it? Just awful like oh, unwatchable steven yeah an unwatchable they shouldn't have movie. been so bland about it being a portal movie it probably would have done better let me tell you something you should watch 10 cloverfield lane if you haven't it is literally one of my favorite movies ever that no that one looked really great i heard good things about it. i remember seeing like ads for it um i just never got around to it like um, absolutely incredible it came out the same yeah. year as get out and i re i really like have those two as like neck and neck like some of like I, I think you could show either of them to a, a film school class and they would be like the big thing about both of them without getting too deep into this because we're talking about portal for, and now we're talking about this. 
The big thing uh-huh. about both of them is that they're both completely obsessed in the best way with setup and payoff. Where yes, like absolutely, yeah. Every shot in Get Out is either setting up a payoff or paying off a setup, and Ten Cloverfield Lane is exactly the same. And you will understand that the more you watch it. It is a perfect clock of a movie. I love it. I feel like Parasite is similar, and weirdly enough, yeah. I think the way these all connect is they're all kind of set in like a singular location with like really tense character relationships, which does connect to Portal. So there is a thematic connection here. There but it is. um yeah, I I think we should wrap up before this becomes a patron bonus by accident this <laughs> about movies. Was a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. Hey, uh these bonus episodes are uh possible because of our patrons over at Patreon patron patreon.com slash into the cast patron.net <laughs> as we mention every week but especially in these patron or sorry yes. in these bonus episodes um if anyone backs the patreon at all we will continue making monthly bonus episodes like this one that are focused on an idea or a video game or a series of video games um and we love doing it it's very fun we have some big ideas for the rest of the year that I think we're both very excited about. Um, Me but, too. But that having been said, uh, thank you to everybody who backs the Patreon and makes episodes like this one possible. If you back the Patreon, you also get patron bonus episodes, um, which are a little less frequent. But uh, again, we have some big ideas that we're working on for some Patreon bonus stuff that's uh, very exciting. So stay tuned for yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for your support who are able to do so. I mean, I also think that like, us starting to do the bonuses like when we first started doing bonuses every month in season two it really helped frame the show for us like it's really nice to have like okay what is like the kind of event this month that we're sort of like focusing on Mm. and then that takes a little bit of pressure off the weekly ones where like if something pops up and we're very genuinely excited about it we can focus on that yeah so that that's all possible thanks to you so you're support and feedback and listening to the show really helps shape it in a good way so thank you for that yeah so outside of that, I mean, you can head over to into the cast online. Uh, it has links to Twitter and Instagram. Um, it also has links to our Twitch where we're streaming occasionally. It also has a link to our YouTube where I have a full playthrough of both Portal 1 and 2 available right now that you can go watch. Um, you can see me relive the magic in stunning 1080p. It's also really helpful as I've used those videos multiple times as a guide when I'm stuck. Uh, yeah i maybe should have mentioned that earlier uh but i but i played through them kind of spoiler free i didn't give anything away that was happening story-wise and i genuinely did try and solve the puzzles uh while recording those videos um so it is essentially a walkthrough in a sense um with a spoiler free walkthrough uh you know until the things happen so you can go check that out and share it with your friends if they're playing portal uh when portal the companion collection drops on nintendo switch 2022 in theaters now. In theaters now. Uh, or has already been in theaters, Stephen. Home Alone is just Final Fantasy VI. I don't know what the big deal is. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> I open my heart to you. I haven't seen the movie. I, I, I... come here <laughs> with a hope, a, a dream, a wish, and a gift. And, I I, and it was I'm a rebuked. Fun I'm rebuked on my own podcast <laughs> by my own co-host. You know I love you. I would never do anything to hurt you. Please follow me. Are you still there? <laughs> That's really, you do a good turret. <laughs> hey, uh, Lauren Michaels, here we go. I'm the, I'm the camo pattern turret. <laughs> Are you still there? <laughs> this is the Animal King. <laughs> Target lost.
So should we just Goodbye. do bits for the rest of the night or should we stop recording the podcast? Get out. It's been fun. Don't come back. We have Elden Ring to play. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.